Mr. Waller, I've offered this man a lot of money to do this, okay? Because it's worth it to me. However, I don't care if I end up penniless. I don't care if I have to spend my life savings. I will see to it that you end up in the hospital for one week, Mr. Waller. Do you understand me? <laughs> I need me a Japanese. Ah! <laughs> I love it! I love it! I'm gonna be people from everywhere! I need me a Japanese! I don't have to defend the title of it! I'm here, and I'm gonna be here until I feel like I wanna leave. And if you don't like me being here, train to be a professional wrestler, get in this ring, and I'll beat you like I own you. Hello there, folks. Welcome to We Don't Know Wrestling. This is an episode of the Desert Island Comp series. I am your host, Sam, and this week, I am joined by one of the commentators from Phoenix Pro Wrestling, a, a DVD VR uh, forum poster, um, <laughs> formerly, um, Tim Livingston. Tim, how are you doing? I'm, I'm good, Sam. Uh, yeah, the uh, someone, someone, I think, I think Neil from Armchair Linebacker, he was asking about uh, former DVD VR handles. Um, that's a deep cut. That's a really deep cut. That that got some conversation going on Twitter with what uh, we would call each other back in the ancient times known as message board days. Yeah, it feels like um, AEW has really brought some nostalgia for um, <laughs> the Death Valley Review uh, yeah. message boards, um, mostly because of uh, Tony Khan there. Um, yeah, exactly, right? Form- the... the, uh, the uh, Originator the, of the uh, Sleaze Fed. Exactly. Threat. <laughs> the... Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, very nice. Yeah, um, never, never looked at the boogie woogie man uh, the same ever again after that thread. That was uh, that that, was the end. that that was a moment. You want to talk about a moment? That was a moment, Sam. That was a moment. Um, but yeah, I thank you for being on. Um, so the kind of structure of the Desert Island Comp series is that. Uh, I'm about to ship you away to a desert island here at the end of this episode, so good luck once and once you. for all there. Appreciate it. Um, but you have been given essentially a disc with ten matches and three angles, and one of your first things you said was, "Okay, but can I have some honorable mentions?" Um, <laughs> things which, I'm gonna be really upset that I couldn't put on these. Yeah, so I was yeah. like, um, "Hmm, yes, but." We will not be diving deep into those. Oh, no. And you will not be taking these really with you. You can get a, a highlight package of all these guys. Um, Maybe, yeah. Yeah, that's about it. That's about okay. it. Um, that's so, so treat these as your your supplements. But, um, yeah, so what we're going to do is kind of dive into these interventions. Then we'll get to the real, the real meat of things um, okay. and kind of figure out, hey, everyone has a different strategy when putting together these lists. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll be interested in kind of, as we go through, talking about how you've cobbled together your your full 10 here. But let's start with some honorable mentions. Let me zoom into this spreadsheet because from work, I had it set to 67% for Google Sheets, which is not going to be ideal for this. Wow. Um, As someone who works in data, that's impressive. That's, that's an impressive zoom ratio right there. Yeah, I need to see about... 35 columns to make it worth it um so we're we're, let's run them all down at once and then we can kind of roll through them um daniel makabe versus timothy thatcher from 321 battle um from wet hot 
Seattle Summer, July 28th, 2017. Um, Kazuchika Okada versus Katsuri Shibata. A surprise this one didn't make the, the list, but we'll, we'll talk. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, April 6th, 2017. Sakura Genesis. Um, Lord Steven Regal versus Fit Finlay from WCW's Uncensored. Um, then we have Nick Patrick versus Chris Jericho, WCW World War Three. Um, then Nairo Casas versus uh, Hio Del Santo, CMLL, CMLL um, September 19th, 1997. Um, one of my favorite matches of all time. So yes. how, how did you leave these the, these five here on the cutting room floor here? I, I had I, – I remember going through lists and, and this list changed. The main list changed. Um, some lists that were on that, I actually was like – I liked my honorable mentions, but they didn't change. Um, so – um, I'll, I'll get into that when we go over my strategy for the original list. Um, but you know, I mean, you know, Makabe in our corner of the internet, he's kind of a for, talk about a former DVD VR poster. Um, you know, uh, guy who just kind of rose up and, and it was great to try and get him on here. I already have a, a Thatcher match. We'll get to it. Um, but that match with, with Thatcher in 2017, that kind of opened eyes on him, uh, was a huge deal and open eyes to him uh to me for him and uh and since i've gotten to know him over the last couple of years it's been kind of great to see his ascent so i wanted to get a mention in for him um you're wondering why okada shibata uh, did not make the list it was because i landed in tokyo the day of this event and uh i had cruel, an cruel idea world. of maybe maybe going to this event except that when i had announced my connecting flight um it was two and a half hours into the show after I landed. So I did not go to this match, but I did get the weekly pro wrestling magazine with the famous cover of the just sweat coming off of him after the, he takes the rainmaker and, and holds still, you know, uh, kind of a, an iconic image, even though he decided to essentially end his own career that night. That was uh, that's a shame. Um, look, I mean, I need to get a Regal Finley match in here. I picked the Incensor match because I think it is the most violent of their series. Um, and, you know, I think that was a pretty easy choice there. The Nick Patrick Chris Jericho match is a match that, that this is a big thanks to Eric Ritz at Saguna Kaida. Um, so he watches this. And I go over to his house. This is right before the pandemic hit. He's like, we have to watch this match. And he writes like a thousand words on this thing. And I'm like, how could you write a thousand words on this? And it's because Nick Patrick has one of the great stooging heel jobs you'll ever see in it. Uh, it is just hilarious to watch. Um, it is a true, like it is a true gem of professional wrestling, a total oddity, but also fits within kind of the uh, boundaries set forth in presenting a pro wrestling match that I truly love. And then you mentioned it. I mean, Casas El Hilo de Santo is one of the great, um, matches of all time. It is absolutely one of the great um, uh, Lucha de Puestas of all time, but I took one other above it on my list, but I wanted to call it out here because I've seen Santo live. Uh, I'd love to see Casas live before he decides to finally hang it up when he's, what, 110? Um, but um, I, I just... I had to kind of just unfortunately shove them out. So, uh, but I wanted to at least mention them here because I will be very sad that none of these five matches uh, will be in full on the disc that you are providing me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. I. I guess. Yeah. 
I think Casas versus Santa, like spoiler, would probably make my 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 mm-hmm. list. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I can understand why in these five. I can also we'll we'll figure out okay the ten matches that you decided it, you would rather have with you uh, to comfort <laughs> you um, and those cold lonely nights. Yeah, that that I would be forever judged for not having Casas and Santo on the list for so. I, I probably did. I probably undercut myself by putting that in my honorable mentions, and now they're going to be like, "Yeah, that's not better. That's not better. That's not better." So, and I don't blame them. But you know, that's the that's, that's how the that's cookie came up with. It's that's how that's how my list is. So, yeah. um, well, all right, let's let's get cracking then. Let's get to the first match on the list. I'm fairly certain. Um, I've got this updated. Um, but number one is going to be Brock Lesnar versus Eddie Guerrero from. No Way Out, 2004, taking place from the Cow Palace. Yes, sir. Um, why this match make your Desert Island comp? Well, I um, I was there for this match. Um, this match, it was the second live WWE event I've ever been to. I went to a Raw in 2002 um, that uh, was in San Jose. It was right after my 18th birthday. Uh, I got the Rob Van Dam phone thumbs that pointed to him uh that was great um but uh so this match i I picked it because obviously it holds a a very special place in my heart because you know being there for it but obviously you know loving eddie as i became a quote-unquote smart fan uh you know in my late teens and into my you know my current my current standing as a wrestling fan but um when the announcement came uh through the wires uh, the biz, you know, the insider biz news wires, uh, one wrestling.com, all that good stuff. Um, that Brock, uh, was not going to be renewing his contract that when you put two and two together with that and Eddie, uh, being in the main event of the show that, uh, you know, you're going to see something special. And so as soon as the news about Brock got loose, uh, I ended up buying tickets for this show. And ended up getting them to behind. So from hard camera left up the ramp. So I was opposite hard camera behind the ramp, basically where Eddie's low rider came out uh, that night. Um, so there's that. Um, Eric Ritz was also at this show. Didn't know him then. Wouldn't know him for years. Um, but uh, he was also at this show. And so, but the match also is tremendous. It is, um, I know that a lot of people are on the John Cena Extreme Rules uh, bandwagon for Brock's best match. And I think that in due time, that'll probably be the right answer. Um, But this for a long time was my favorite match of his. And one of my favorite Eddie matches, not my favorite Eddie match, but one of my favorite Eddie matches. And a lot of it just has to do with the fact that this match was laid out in a very simple manner. It's a small guy against a big guy. The big guy is uber athletic. He has explosive tendencies. Uh, he can basically do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And there was just this really great kind of deterioration of um, Brock's kind of impervious shield, his, his invincibility kind of being whittled away. Uh, minute by minute by Eddie from being just precision at his knee and uh, finding these ways to to figure out a way to get into the match that, you know, otherwise you don't really get a chance to do because you're not the size of Brock. And um, they laid it out in such a great way that, you know, the, the, the great parts about the cutoffs and the transitions 
and Brock knowing that all he needs is one burst and he can at least get back on some type of control. Um, his groundwork was due to the fact he didn't have a lot of strength in that knee that he worked over. So he was doing a lot of things like kind of seated bear hugs and kind of seated gut wrenches and kind of these things that kind of tried to wear Eddie down at least a little bit. But, you know, he was also trying to to get his knee back in working order. And they just really told this beautiful story. Um, and the atmosphere around that match was was palpable. You know, there was a, a huge Latin population in Northern California that came out for this match. Uh, there were Lucha mask sellers outside uh, selling, uh, you know, you know, every type of Lucha mask you could think of back in 2004. That was the hotness. And then, you know, inside it was just just on fire for Eddie. And the Goldberg stuff was was a great add to it. And and, you know, and then on tape, you know, this is one of Michael Cole's greatest commentary matches. Him and Taz are like on top of this. They really get the moments right. There's a sense of urgency that the match has that they match with their commentary that I think watching it back. I've watched this match back dozens of times at this point that really makes it a true uh, feather in his cap, you know, for his career. Although a lot of people talk about the the Cruiserweight Classic stuff with him, you know, being such a great part of that. But um, there's just the full presentation of this has stuck with me for a long time. And um, Eddie's performance is terrific. Brock being, you know, Brock being one of the smartest guys um, of his era, and and knowing, yeah, he's might might not be cut out for the everyday stuff, but you give him the right person to work with him, and he will do everything he can to make it a good fit. And he does that here with Eddie, which you can tell he has a lot of respect for the way he treats him and the way he puts over a lot of his stuff. And um, so just, just the whole of it, as I've watched it back so many times now, just in the end always gets me when, when he, when he hits the frog splash and he wins and he hugs his mom and he hugs Mondo and he gets the NorCal flag and he's dancing on the tables. It's just uh, it's a, it's a moment and it's something that, I know that were I actually on a, a desert island, that uh, if I needed to feel good, that's why it's number one. It's the quick fix. You put it there, and uh, in within 30 minutes you'll be you'll you'll be feeling good again. So, um, just a terrific terrific uh, piece of pro wrestling, and you know a lot of great memories for me, and something that I feel is 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 going to stand the test of time is one of the great moments that uh, that ever happened in the company. So. Yeah, and it's maybe not the weekend to Brock Lesnar's first run there, but um, very close to it. Um, right. Probably that last truly, truly great match um, mm-hmm. before he becomes a completely different wrestler. Right. Um, primarily because it doesn't seem like he very much wants to be a wrestler anymore after this. Right. Um, it, comparing the two f- beings um, almost have separate identities at that point. Right. Um, They're like two, they are two separate wrestlers, absolutely. Um, but yeah, this is a moment, a moment in time, and you having that personal connection yeah. sure as heck doesn't hurt. Um, you mentioned Ludish masks being the real thing. Like, why don't they bring those back? When we see, get that's fa- a great call. When we get fans back, that should be like number one priority. Right. I see. Absolutely. Um, and there's also some great things that Brock does in this match. That just like, um, he 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 just he understood how to to play his role. He's a champion. He's an overbearing champion. Um, but yeah, this, in a lot of ways, this is kind of the last time he gives a shit, you know, um, in the traditional 
everyday hitting the road pro wrestler sense. You know, when he comes back as the prize fighter, um, he basically just knows he's there for a paycheck. And when he's invested, he it shows, right? Um, the John Cena match, this year's Rumble, um, half and half on Taker, definitely not on the Triple H stuff. Um, but yeah, like you can tell when he gives a shit and he gave a shit here. He wanted to do right by Eddie and um, he did a lot of great little touches in this match that really make it that much more special on, on the rewatch. And so, um, yeah, okay. Kudos to him. Uh, I, I do not, in, in this day and age, uh, default anybody or, or, or give fault to anybody who understands their worth and gets what they're paid. And, uh, he gets it. And, and, uh, you know, but, uh, I, and he does great work on top of it when he really wants to. So, uh, he's okay in, in my book. Yeah. Even though he, he should have put over Roman at least twice by now, but that's okay. Yeah. He can do whatever yeah. he wants though. Um at this that's point. True. Which, you know, good for him. Very few people can do that or <laughs> or do do that. Um and Eddie right. is probably someone that had very very few wrestlers have had kind of a connection with the audience that Eddie's had. Um Yeah, and there's some melancholy here too. Um you can see there's a ton of back knee for him. He's, he's definitely, you know, even though he's on the way back from his addiction stuff, he's still obviously hitting the uh, juice pretty hard. Um, and you know, people less than two years from now from this match, he's gone. And there's definitely some sadness there, especially knowing that a lot of what paid off, you know, there's the great storyline kind of payoff there where he talked about beating his addictions to get to this point And, uh, the, uh, and, and it being used as kind of the crutch here. And you hear the, the line about this is the high he's been chasing, but, um, it is very melancholy to know that in less than two years after this, he's gone. And, um, but, uh, it doesn't, I don't think it detracts from like the moment, like this being a, like a, a thing that a lot of, especially Latino fans of, of wrestling remember as a big moment for them. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, was there anything else you would like to add to Brock Lesnar versus Eddie Carrera? Um, let me see. I had notes. I want to make sure that Break I them out. Uh, apply Break them out. all my notes, uh, for this match. Um, oh, so did you know that Ryback stole his finish in this match? No. So, yeah. So there's like a proto shell shock that Brock does, um, oh, yeah. after like a couple minutes in after the knee work and, uh, you know, he kind of even did the march. And I was like, absolutely, Ryback, watching that match, he's like, that's my finish. That's what I'm doing. Uh, so thank you, Brock, for that. Um, Brock talks a lot of shit in this match. Like, a lot of shit. Oh, yeah. Um, he he doesn't... It's I mean, the Suplex City bitch stuff that starts at WrestleMania 31, uh, he doesn't talk as much shit leading up to that. But when Brock talks shit, it's great. Like, Brock should talk all of the shit because he can. He's Brock Lesnar. He should be able to talk all the shit he wants. Um, and I just – I really enjoy that. And so uh, I really like that in this match. Um, yeah, th- those are the only other two marks. Ryback and shit talking. That's that's what this is about, this entire podcast. That's what uh, this is about. We got robbed of a Ryback versus Lesnar match is what I feel like. <laughs> I feel like if – Things just broke a little differently. It oh definitely would have happened. It, not a lot had to go go right for it to happen. Right. 
um, just a few key moments in time. <laughs> and we're talking about that main eventing. Um, like a SummerSlam or something. A SummerSlam like or Survivor Absolutely. Series. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. Damn. Damn, 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 damn it all to hell. Um. All yeah. right. Great are start. You, are you ready for match number two here? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm very bad at names, so I will be bushing um a couple of these ones. Um, we got Akira Okudo and Shinobu um Kandori versus Bull Nakano and Aja Kong from yeah, you hit it nice. AJW Wrestling Queendom two, um March twenty seventh. 1994. So, uh, one of the strategies, so I kind of had like tiers for this. So I wanted to make sure I added match that I had a personal affinity with. So, and I'll point those out, right? So those are matches that, um, I had a really huge personal draw to whether I was there or was involved somehow. And so that's what made these lists. This is part of it. The second one was, um, understanding certain matches that get a lot of wrestlers in that I like at the same time. So this is that level. So this is the, I love all four of these wrestlers. I want them in my comp somehow. This is how I get them in. Right. Um, They all have singles matches better than this tag match. But this tag match is also like one of the great, unsung tag matches of of all time um i think it's grown in stature over the years it's still something that because like you know i i, I know that like uh joshi is kind of like a, a blind spot uh for a lot of modern wrestling fans who are like getting in or trying to like figure out where some of these um influences come from but you know when i was coming up in the kind of the tail end of the tape trading days and the first kind of wave of matches that was hitting, you know, your LimeWire and your Kazaz and your Napsters and your, you know, personal FTP sites that you could access and download over tiny ass, small internet connections. Um, the, the AJW and the interpromotional stuff from Japan in the eighties and in the nineties were as highly sought after as, the great all Japan stuff and the great new Japan stuff. And, you know, the big match everybody loves is the Shinobu Kandori and Akira Hokuto match from dream slam one in April 93. And I think when I did my last, uh, uh, list, when I did a, a kind of a desert Island comp with, uh, Dylan Hales and, and Dave Musgrave on the wrestling culture podcast years ago, but that match made it. Um, but I adjusted it here because, I think this match tells as good a story, if not better. So leading in this match, there was essentially a countdown for Hokuto's retirement. She had met Mascara Magic 2 in, in Mexico, was married to her, wanted to start a family, all this stuff. Uh, that didn't last, um, shockingly. But she essentially had a countdown because she got injured at the end of 93, uh, shattered her knee in a match with Aja Kong for the 3WA title. Uh, that played into their match with Kandori, her match with Kandori in December at St. Final in 93. And so she said, you know what, I'm going to go out and let's finish it. And so this is the start of her quote unquote retirement tour. And this is a match that I believe fans got to vote on. Like all four members were going to be a part of the match and they picked the teams. 
And uh, this was the, these were the teams. So you have Aja and Bull, who were rivals at one point, but had teamed together and knew each other well, um, and were stablemates back in the day in early early parts of Aja's career. And then you have two people who hate each other on the other side. And the match itself is essentially begrudgingly Hokuto and Kendori being in a situation that they didn't want to be in and figuring out how they could possibly work together. Um, and this match has a lot of slaps in it uh, in the form of tags. That's how Hokuto and, Hokuto and Kendori tag each other in for the first parts of this match. Uh, they slap each other in the face. Oh, God, it's great. Um but then there's a couple of times where it breaks down early and they pair off and they go outside and um, Aja suplexes Hokuto on the on a table and then just goes on a freaking pile driver rampage and just crushes her. And Hokuto famously broke her neck, uh, taking a second rope tombstone earlier in career and knows that that's kind of a bad spot for her. And so she's on the defensive and Kendori's just like, ah, she freaking made her bed. I don't care. But after the second kind of breakdown where Hokuto just gets run over by Kong and Nakano's doing her best too. There's a moment in the match where Hokuto is able to kind of grab a, a flash arm bar on Aja and Bull uh, goes up for a leg drop and all of a sudden uh, Akira Hokuto is able to move and that's where Kendori kind of has this like moment like, oh, we actually could win this thing and she just <laughs> like reflectively goes in and like tries to hold bull off, right? Um, that gets broken up, and then it kind of turns into a more traditional match after that. But by the end, you know, this kind of really weird, just like full of pride, you know, stubbornness on Hokuto's part, and uh, Kandori just not liking this person after what happened to them at Dream Slam. After a year, they figure out, you know what, if we want to actually win this thing, we have to do something. And they actually start working together a little bit at the end. And the finish is great, where Kandori is able to finally hold off Nakano, and Hokuto is able to hit two Northern Lights bombs and, and then hits a reverse one into a third one. And she pins Kong, which is a huge deal because Aja had been the champion for over a year and a half at that point and rarely took a pinfall. And considering how Hokuto blew out her knee, essentially, in their last match, that was the setup for the Big Egg Universe show uh, at the Tokyo Dome that November. That was supposed to be kind of this coronation for Hokuto and what she did for all Japan women. Uh, that unfortunately didn't really turn out to be what she wanted it to be because the knee, of course, couldn't really hold up. Uh, even in the short schedule she ran in, in, two, in the 1994. So, um, But this is just – it's a great story. It's kind of this begrudging tale of two people kind of forced into a situation they don't want to be in um you know and aja and bull are just freaking monsters in this match they just run over both of them almost at will aja is able to figure out some ways to just brutalize hokuto early on even though hokuto is just like defiantly saying you know this is my moment you're not going to take it away from me but kong just absolutely throws it back in her face uh and then some and then them kind of realizing the only chance they have, you know, Kandori and Hokuto is if they work together and begrudgingly so, right? And and that kind of payoff at the end. And the post-match is great, you know, just kind of the defiant, you know, high five by Kandori for Hokuto just saying thank you for helping me make my moment happen. 
And then Hokuto's saying, you know, I want one last shot at the belt. And Kong's like, you know what, we'll make it happen. And uh, it's a it's a it's a great piece of business. It's a great piece of storytelling in an era that is really not known for its storytelling. It's known more for its in-ring work, especially in tag matches, which are very go, go, go because of what Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamato were doing at the time. Uh, but this is just um, a tremendous piece of business. And I think that if you're invested in any of the four, especially Okudo, it, uh, it's really a great payoff. So, But as a standalone, I think there's a lot to be gotten out of it as well. Uh, so question for you. As far as when you were putting together this list, um, was the order – I think you were said something along these lines, but I want to kind of confirm. Like, Is the order uh, important to kind of how you, you viewed putting this list together? So I think it eventually became that way because the – I think the first – let me think about this. So I think the first seven matches on this I think were like boom, 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 boom. That I was like, you know what? That's how I want this to be because those were the matches that came to mind, right? Those are the matches I think that when I was really trying to make this work, uh, those are the matches that really made it. And I think that's like, well, it's not necessarily my favorite matches of all time. But it was like the first seven that came to mind that I don't think I would be able to do without. And so this match being there was like, I think this was, I don't know if it's really like the second match I really wanted or it was like, I need to have this on there. I, you know, that's kind of the, the chicken, the egg type of, of situation. But um, yeah, I think it was just like, I knew this was what I would want to do for this type of list. Uh, I needed to get that on there, essentially. Absolutely, you can get four wrestlers you're a big fan of. Um, right. That's called that's called min max in this list. Mm-hmm. Uh, love it, love it, love. I mean, I love seeing all the matches everyone puts on these lists. Right. I love to see also like the thought process of okay, if you are not going to be able to watch any other wrestling, um, mm-hmm. how what speaks to you? Oh, Tom Batista when he was on it for one of the first episodes, right. um, he took about half matches that he, um pretty much did not like um and he was like you know what for the next rest of my life i'm going to dedicate it to understanding why someone might enjoy oh, this oh yes i remember that now oh man that was yeah okay which you have uh, to i think you have to have a little bit of brain worms to do um but, i could oh, not yeah. you have to you have to be mentally yeah you have to have something there for sure yeah i don't think i could ever dedicate my life um to something i do not particularly like to just better understand why I do not like it. Yeah. Um, it's just why I've given up WWE for the most part. Yeah. Um, but I kind of love the thought you put into this and be able to, okay, maybe this isn't the best match that any four of these individuals were a part of, um, but it is the best match that involves all four um, and kind of gives you the best opportunity to see all of your faves in one place and just a great match to boot. Um, yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, there's great interactions that lead down the line. Like, you know, can Dory and Nakano have an absolutely insane uh, chain match in LLPW a few months after that, that I considered for this list um, because um, I, I could easily consider, I think half a dozen can Dory matches for this list, to be honest with you. I think she's brutally underrated and I'm glad that, you know, GWE 2016, um, I think I had her my third highest rated uh, women's worker. I think third or fourth. Um, she's one of the highest batting average wrestlers of all time. 
Wow. She in big matches delivers better than most other big match wrestlers. Um, and it's pretty unequivocally that great. Uh, in in so many different settings too, which is which just adds to her appeal. And uh, and I think outside of I think of the four, she was the one that I was considering a true singles match of uh, for the other for 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 a quote unquote slot that would involve involve any of these four. Um, she she really is great, and so um, yeah, I, I'm I'm happy to to you know have all of them here so that I could enjoy them. You know, talking shit and beating the crap out of each other for 35 minutes is great. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And apologies if you hear any rustling in the background. That would be my dog who <laughs> has decided that she really needs to be under this blanket. Um, and will scratch at it until it's cold. it lifts up. That's okay. Now, this is this is a dog-friendly podcast. Oh, absolutely. 100%. So. Um, is there anything else you would like to add to... Um, your number two match or um i would say if you're looking to go into it so that you if, if for whatever reason if you haven't watched this match before you're looking to get into it the matches to watch would be the dream slam match obviously between kudo and kendori um the the saint final match between the two of them is good but not nearly as good as the first one um and that's a good lead-in. And then the Tag League, the best, 1993, whatever you can watch from that with the Nakano and Hokuto team, that's some really good stuff um, and um, kind of plays into this because Nakano and Hokuto haven't been teammates relatively, you know, you know, just a few months earlier, kind of playing in against each other and how that matches up too. So, um, you know, all, all types of good stuff there. So, Heck yeah. Um, all right, we'll move on to match number three here. Um, taking place from the First Niagara Center Buffalo, in Buffalo, New York. It is from 2013, WWE's Battleground, The Shield of Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins versus Cody Rhodes and Goldust. Damn, why why this made the list? Where, so did you go to this show by any chance? I did not. I no, did not. you did not? You did not? Okay. So this is like a famously terrible show, right? This show is I think I think it actually might have won the one worst show of 2013. I'm pretty sure. Uh don't quote me on that. I should have done my research, but it um, was voted in the was, Wrestling Observer newsletter as the worst major <laughs> wrestling show of 2013. God, I'm just absolutely burying myself here. Um there's an argument that this is the last time that WWE gave a damn about the mid card um, or wanted to build something out of the mid card that somehow, some way could lead to something in the future. Um, I know people probably maybe recently we talked maybe like Dolph Ziggler and the Miz for that no mercy match that turned into a, a miracle match where Ziggler put his career on the line and, and won. Uh, but you know, so there's some good TV leading into this. So, you know, Cody had been kind of run roughshod over by the authority. Got to love those authority storylines. Um, and the shield have just kind of been wearing them down. And so, of course, you know, after the Daniel Bryan fiasco at the end of SummerSlam 2013, there's kind of just like a down. People are feeling down on WWE because of what happened. Um, which of course played right into their hands because of what would happen the next five months after the, after this show, at least. 
Um, but you know, people weren't really high on the uh, television. Very lazy uh, outside of maybe the main event storyline that a lot of people weren't happy with because they weren't given the instant validation of uh, of Brian finally being there, being the guy. Um, but you know, the Shield were there, and the Shield are great. Uh, this is peak Shield. But so you get Cody uh, facing Randy Orton. Uh, and if he doesn't win, he gets fired. So, of course, he loses. He gets fired. They bring back Dustin as Gold Dust the next week. He's like, I want to fight for uh, my brother's job. And, of course, he faces Randy. And good match. Very good match. Uh, Randy beats him. And so, of course, Cody came back. The next week, Dusty goes out and is pissed off that his sons get treated like that. And he gets knocked out by Big Show because the authority, uh, you got to love these storylines. Uh, there's a debt storyline that Big Show ran into some debts from like gambling or something like that, I want to say. Got to love that. Just just, just incredible, incredible stuff. And so he's kind of like doing hits on the authority's behalf. And so he knocks out Dusty. Um, and then, you know, Dusty's still an employee. So he kind of calls his card out and is like, no, I want, I want my sons to come back and you say it to our face. And he kind of coerces them into a match here at Battleground for the opportunity to win their jobs back. And it's a tag team match against the tag team champions. And it's damn by far the best thing Cody's done in WWE. Absolutely the best. And it's Dustin getting to be a tag worker, which is his best element. He's one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time against uh, a guy, you know, in or a team that has basically defined the style of WWE for the last year coming into this and has basically told everybody, Hey, you know, work up to us or, or get left behind. And so Cody and Dustin bring it here. Um, the crowd who for an hour coming into this match, couldn't give a damn about what was happening. Kind of wakes up for this. There's a great pre-match promo with the roads backstage with Renee. That that's really good. Um, and yeah, the kind of the place wakes up and there's some juice here and, and the guys kind of feel it. They're like, hey, you know, we can kind of turn this around. And uh, and they go out and they really work hard. Uh, Dustin's just terrific. He does not. He absolutely hits all the right notes in this match. He has a great hot tag. He hits all his great transition spots. Um, he takes his crazy ass old man apron bump where he misses a cross body and lands on the freaking apron uh, ring, apron of the ring and rolls to the floor, which he was doing like as a regular 20 years earlier. And he does it in this match. It's fucking insane. Um, and then, you know, Cody is there to kind of soak up the second hot tag and he brings a lot of fire to it. And, you know, Seth and Roman are great in their control segments. Roman, especially just kind of this overbearing presence that, even a guy like Dustin, who's been around the block for a quarter of a century at this point, uh, has a tough time dealing with one-on-one. Um, and it leads into a really great finish where, you know, Dean is the second on the outside or the third in this case. And Dusty is the third on the outside for the roads. And, you know, he gets in Dusty's face and Dusty takes out his belt and he cracks him across the forehead with the the belt buckle and starts throwing the, the bionic elbow. And Dean has to hightail it back to the uh, ramp and that leaves it one-on-one as uh, Roman gets cut off by gold dust for Cody and, and Seth to go into the finish. And it's a hot finish. Seth gets a schoolboy, and then 
after the the pinfall not doesn't go his way he you know Cody hits crossroads and that does it and the pop is enormous it's like the crowd had been waiting the entire night for something to give a damn about and they finally give it to him because an hour later they wrench it right back out of them with a terrible terrible finish to the show but um it's 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 like it's like the one of the purest forms of pro wrestling distilled it's the ba- it's something that Vince knows how to do really really well when he cares to do it and it doesn't seem like he does it enough and a lot of that probably has to do with the fact he doesn't have the pieces he wants or he thinks certain things about a certain person and then that's it for that person and then he can't do it again but he obviously cared about Dusty you know the the shield are probably the three best Dusty graduates of developmental at that point and so you know, those are three guys he helped bring along and get them to this point that they would, you know, go on to their, their the rest of their careers. And so this is the last time he's on WWE TV. He passes away, you know, soon after. Um, but he's out there with three of his best students. He's out there with his sons. And the whole payoff to just kind of like a middling kind of throwaway storyline is that everybody gave a damn and everybody put something into it. And you kind of get this miracle in the middle of, a really terrible wrestling show that uh, I think has gotten unduly forgotten because of the fact that the show itself is terrible and the ending still leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Um, But I don't think you should detract from this match. I think that it's one of the best tag team matches that the WWE has ever done. I think it's easily the best thing Cody has done is one of the best things Dustin has done. One of the best things Seth has ever done. Um, and it's it's I think a moment that had they decided to go with that version of Cody Rhodes, I'm interested to see what happens the next three years before he decides to leave and, and go on his own and, and and do what he's done in the latter half of the of the the decade. So um, kind of an interesting kind of inflection point uh, for you know the three guys in the Shield that obviously have their tickets written. They're going to be top of the, the card type guys down the line. And a guy like Cody, who shows he could hang with those guys, but he doesn't have the same confidence behind him or the same ideas behind him. And, and uh, you know, but he has enough behind him eventually to uh, start up AEW and do his ROH stuff. So uh, just a really interesting piece uh, in a decade that, as it's gone on, has become stranger and stranger in, in the, the history of pro wrestling. Yeah, it's it's strange to remember a time when there was a any just major wrestling TV program um, that was essentially built around um, the wrestling of one group, um, right. like it was the Shield for so long, where that was kind of ninety percent of the reason why certain people were, were tuning in um, to see the Shield match that week. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they they're they're. 18 month run on TV is just insane. It is absolutely insane. We're going to look back on that and just realize just how incredible it was that they were able to do as much as they did in that time. Yeah. The fact that they won just could do it um, from a talent perspective. And the fact that somehow they were allowed to do it Um, Mm -hmm. neither before nor since has there ever been admittedly like that level of consistency from uh, a major yeah. wrestling television program. Even when right. we have more wrestling now from other promotions, um, very few are built on like 
okay, this is going to be one of the core tenets of what our show is going to feature mm-hmm. um, right. week in and week out for a prolonged period of time. Uh, part of that might be from a lack of ideas of doing things differently um, where, okay, it's it seems to be working, so let's, let's not mess with it. Um, right. But we've seen that that's not always the case of when mm-hmm. things are working not to mess with it. Um, Especially in that company. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then in a lot of ways, this felt kind of like like you were mentioning this kind of Cody getting an opportunity, showing what he can do with that opportunity. Um, as well as like feeling like the basis for a lot, he's a lot of what he's going to do in the future in AEW, as far as absolutely building around his big matches. It's like, like you were saying, there's very few times like that WWE allows these mat- sort of tight, these kinds of matches to take place. Um, where it's not just about the the work rate that is going to succeed or just not the spectacle that is succeeding, but um, somewhere there's a mix of both. Um, mm-hmm. Where WWE can sometimes be really great at one of the two. Um, mm-hmm. But never both. Never, rarely both. Rarely both. Um, this is kind of one of those opportunities where it was, and I think future matches were um, Cody and AEW um, on his big pay-per-view matches, like that's kind of the, the blueprint is okay. Where I'm going to mix kind of this big spectacle. Um, no one else on the car is going to get that big spectacle. Um, but I'm also going to mix with just enough wrestling to kind of make it all feel real professional. Um, right. whether it's state of the art or not, as long as it's like mm, mid nineties intercontinental championship level stuff. Um, right. people will be thinking this is great. Um, and a lot of times it really works. So um, this match is, like you said, an inflection point. It feels like, okay, from here, we're going to go down very different paths for all the individuals here. Um, and it was kind of great that uh, Dusty could be a part of it as well. So, Yeah. And and one thing I, I did want to mention is, so it, I, I don't know if I could have made one of them an honorable mention, but it was going to be between this and the uh, 2014 Elimination Chamber match between the Shield and the Wyatt family, which is this style in ring, the best it'll ever be. Um, but I thought that this had a little bit more story to it that put it over the top in a way that very rarely... Um, uh, a match, you know, midway through the card uh, has, and and I, I like I said, I, I just think it's it's incredible. It is strange. There, it just seems like there's something always left on the table when you have something like this happen, and you can't do that regularly given the amount of talent you have. You know, that's it. Just seems very strange to me uh, that that's the case. Um, and so I want I want to point it out when it does eventually go right. In, in that instance so absolutely yeah and uh i wish i had more time and or money to have been at the show <laughs> since it was not too far away from me in buffalo right. um only a few hours uh away but that's life um it is but uh anything else you'd like to add to, to your number three match here um no it's 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 great watch it um 
Uh, I know uh, Simon is doing the handwork reviews for 2013 uh, for people who have their brains broken by this, this sport like uh, like he does. Um, I'm really interested to see what he says about this match. And I hope people go back and watch this because I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised at how well everything comes off if you don't remember it. Or you only remember the end of the show, like I think a lot of people do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, here we go. Match number four. Um, it's the real world tag league final from um, nineteen ninety six. Yeah, all Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, might as well just call it twelve six ninety six. Yeah, it's a date. It's not a match. It's a date. You know. So, um, so Kiritari and Kawada Holodema uh, Army versus Masawa and Junakiyama. I mean, it's chalk, right? Like this is a match. Like I think there's so this is a chalk match. I think um, my Lucha match on here is a chalk match. Um, I think as time has gone on, Brock and Eddie has become kind of a chalk match. Like great, you know, kind of greatest of all time type matches that like, oh, these are the type of matches you expect to see on a comp like this. Um, this is the same thing with the the All Japan Women's Tag. It's like, how do I get all four of these people onto my tape without you know, maximizing the spots? And it's like, this is it's just too simple to do this match. Um, Saguna Kaida has done a great write-up of this in their match of the year series that, uh, they basically take their, what their consensus match of the year is between Phil and Eric, and then they'll challenge it with other matches they think are up to that level or close to it or been told that they could be close to it. Um, and I told Eric today, it's like, I'm interested to see what you have to challenge this match. Um, I think it's time has gone on. This particular match has lost some luster right I, I think that the further we get away from all japan in the 90s the further that people i think people keep looking for new stuff right this is the rick flair problem rick flair is so much on tape that you know after a while of calling him the greatest of all time people tried to figure out ways to poke holes in his candidacy and that was a big contentious thing in 2016 for the gwe project because Funk and Lawler and Bachwinkle and Hanson and all these other guys that people really wanted to put to the top of the list, Casa, Santo, um, uh, really had a case and wanted to kind of see that fit. And so All Japan, because it has been – it's been the house show for pro wrestling. I'd say the house style for pro wrestling on a great level for, what, 15, 20 years now? Yeah, when, when pretty did, much. When did, tape, when did tape trading stop, essentially? When did when – did, you know, um, I mean, ROH has everything to basically like all Japan is given us ROH. Uh, New Japan juniors to a point has given us ROH. Um, yeah. Super juniors like 94 and right. all of nineties, all Japan. Yeah. Um, so, least to ROH. Yeah. It's like, um, I mean, shit, they worked with pro wrestling Noah for what? Five years, six years. It's like, come on guys. Um, so it's, you know, it's. I think this match obviously has been talked about forever. I mean, the true nerds, the true people who spent their every living day watching this stuff and following this stuff, trying to get everything they could, squeeze that. that the true fruit. sickos. True sickos. Yeah, the perverts. Um, you know, can say that this starts back in 1988 with the final day there when Tenryu and Kawada team up against uh, Gordy and Hansen, right? And there's this story that if you wanted to take the pieces and put it together because this is what Baba did. This is what he was, why he's one of the greatest bookers of all time is that he was able to play off of those previous matches in ways that because all Japan had such a fervent hardcore fan base that he could book to them specifically. 
And so that played into the TV, that played into the big shows, and that definitely played in here because, you know, seven months prior, Akiyama got on a hot streak at the end of him and Misawa challenging the Demon Army for the titles, and Akiyama pinned Kawada. And it was like, holy shit. But then the next night, Towie beats Misawa for the Triple Crown. So it's like there's a lot of great things that just with those two results play in in this match. Tawa is a force of nature in this match. Tawa, this is one of the greatest Tower performances you'll ever see. He has this, like, this is a true, like, quote-unquote, ring general performance. He picks his spots in this match in ways that very few wrestlers have ever picked their spots in a match. He, like, has disdain for Akiyama. He knows that after the win in May, that Akiyama has this kind of air about him that he's, uh, you know, he's 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 kind of has, he's hot shit, you know? And Tawi just shuts him up in so many ways in this match, just abuses him on cutoffs and interference spots and just absolutely brutalizes him with choke slams. The choke slam he gives him off the apron to the floor is just Akiyama takes a flat back. That's just disgusting. It's 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 a tremendous tower performance. Um, my favorite uh, moment in the match that I just noticed on my last rewatch, it was after the first power bomb that Kawada gives Masawa. It's like 25 minutes in and they have the zoom in on his face. And Kawada just has his look on his face. Like not this shit again, because you know, he's been trying to pin Masawa uh, forever. He has the one pin against him, but there's a lot of people who think that that pin didn't mean as much because Kabashi was working on one leg back in June of 95. And so he just kind of like looks up to Tawe and just tags him in. And Tawe then just says, okay, screw this. I'm putting this away. And he does. He, he, he basically lets Masawa get a couple things in, but eventually he is able to, to put him in a position to get Kawada back in. He cuts off Akiyama and then two power bombs later, Kawada's pinned Masawa for the second time. And, you know, there's a lot of great story, how much you want to go into that match that, you know, if you want to know how long Tao and Kawada have been tagging with each other and you want to see the May, the, the May match between them that kind of led to this. And, you know, there's the match between them in the early part of the tag league that leads. So there's all these great things that you can get to it. But as a standalone match on work alone, if you really only know maybe the, the Kawada Misawa story, because I think that's ubiquitous at this point. I think everybody who's a hardcore wrestling fan knows about them. That if you just take those two parts in and you kind of just watch this on its own, that it's it's just a tremendous piece of professional wrestling. It is a it's 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 tantamount to just like watching one of the greatest movies all time. It's like watching maybe The Godfather Part Two for the first time or something like that, where you're like, you know, The Godfather, you know about Michael Corleone, you know about the, the backstory, and you know Al Pacino, and you know that Robert De Niro are in it. And maybe you don't know everything that goes into it, but by the end of you, like, damn, that fucking ruled. And that's what this match is. Like, it is a standalone great match. It also has the added benefit if you're, you know, the perverts like us. We've watched everything leading up to this. We know the ins and outs of this that lead to the, to, to some of the great moments in this match having a lot more meaning. Um, but it's also just a match that on work alone, on pacing alone, on atmosphere alone, you know, all Japan kind of hits the skids. Soon after this, you know, Baba dies in 99 and they have the couple of Tokyo Dome shows. And of course, the Noah breakup in 2000, um, you know, the great you know, historians, the old tape traders, the old guard, the other arena guard 
would kind of say this is probably the end of it for All Japan as a major promotion, even though they have a couple of big swings and hits in the coming years. Um, but this is probably the last time that it feels like the greatest promotion of all time in a lot of ways uh, because of the fact that this is based in a style that had those years of goodwill behind it and had the stories built up between all the guys in it and had the elevations and, and, and had the right people at the right time with it. And uh, I think that looking back on it now, we're almost 25 years past it. Um, you know, I think there are definitely tag matches that can challenge this. I think that this, the idea of this being the best tag match ever, um, I, I think it definitely could be challenged. I think it's still tough, and I still think there's matches that you'd really have to dig in deep to to find a way to make make it say, other than being a contrarian, that this match is inferior to it. Um, but it's still just it's undeniable in a lot of ways. It's 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 something that, given where everyone was at the time that it's it's the best thing that they could have put together absolutely and uh you know i'm i'm interested to see as we remove ourselves further and further from this era uh how many people like me are, are gonna have it in such high regard and have it in a, in a status of of it being one of the greatest matches of all time because uh i understand that it's moment and the sun has been fleeting for a while but there's just certain things that you can't deny after a certain amount of time. There's too much data pushing it towards that direction. So um, that that's what's going to be interesting about kind of looking back on this, especially down the road, that uh, people still feel the same way about it, especially newer fans who um, are maybe getting in after the New Japan 2010s or ROH or things like that. But, uh, you know, none of those happen without this match and the matches that preceded it. Yeah, and um, there was a small Grey's match ever poll that came out um, for the past couple of years. Right. Um, and last year, um, or I guess this year, um, it placed number nine all time, but that's still behind multiple All Japan matches, <laughs> multiple right. All Japan um, tag matches. Right. Um, so, like, it wasn't even the number two All Japan tag match behind um six nine ninety five um the other date um that most will know um right. so it, it's it's it'll be interesting to see how this match holds up um as a, a note because you mentioned it kind of at the top there with uh with flair um that um alan forrell and some folks kind of running a Middle of the road, um, GWE <laughs> update. Um, I've been reading um, GWE threads, uh, Greatest Wrestler Ever threads from yes. Pro Wrestling Only for the past oh my God. about two months now, um, oh, because God. I'm just mm, sick in the head, and I really oh need God. to just feed the beast. I, my God, Sam, I'm I'm envious of you in a lot of ways. Yes. I wish I wish I had that that dedication to go back and read all that. There are some posts. There are some absolute dandies of posts um, it's that I still remember to this day um, from that project. It, uh, a lot of podcasting hours. A lot of people getting hits on the old uh, iTunes podcast algorithm from that time frame. Oh, for sure. It absolutely killed PWO as we knew it. Oh, but absolutely. At, 
at the same time, like, mm, I love you, Charles, but sorry, it happened. Th- there weren't going to be any better posts than you were getting. That was peak posting. Um, oh, no, it absolutely was. I mean, of course, everybody, I think, remembers the Dylan Triple H post, which uh, has become a, essentially a meme now uh, on uh, on Twitter, even all these years later. Um, and, of course, just – but, yeah, like, just uh, – um, I, I think I came across uh, – this was this was a great post when uh, Charles was doing the yearbooks and he got to 96 and people kind of had to revisit this match and think about what it meant now compared to uh, all the hubbub back in the early days of uh, the Japanese exposure in tape trading and, and then the online stuff. And uh, man, there were some posts. That's let's just let's just leave it at that. There were some posts. You know, yeah, there was some there were there were some things that were said about professional wrestling that uh that linger yeah if anyone's yeah. got time i would um recommend you spend 50 pages worth of, <laughs> of material uh reading the reaction threads for the greatest wrestler ever reveals oh. and have the list uh also pulled up in a separate tab so you can kind of keep track what the hell's going on uh, um and have your heart die when negro casses is at 20 yeah yeah wow. not even 20 um yeah 22 i think i had him at six I think I had him at six or seven on mine. I had him number one. Yeah. And uh, when I saw where he landed, it was like, well, that's not good. That's It wasn't fair. And that was really – yeah. Pages, um, the re- the reactions to 100 through 51, that's 27 pages right there that I sifted through um, right. diligently. Um, but really it all led up to the Necrocasus reveal and then everything after that. Yeah, five pages yeah. of the of everyone being upset that voted for him, yeah. uh, and then Absolutely. everything past that, people had just given up. Um, everyone had been broken. Flair was number one. Um, everything had <laughs> felt like the universe had conspired against them. Well, well, of course, you know we won't go too uh, inside baseball with this, but the biggest thing was that people started finding out about it, and that's why uh, a lot of people were like. Uh, how did Flair end up being number one? And that's why it's because uh, the vo- the ballot box was stuffed, so to speak. Um, you know, uh, that's that's why I think a lot of people were uh, a little bit uh, upset with those results. Um, there will be like a five. There should be like a five year compendium of that. You should definitely do a series. Um, I had Casas at six on my list uh, that year. Behind Lawler, Funk, Hanson, Flair, and Liger. A respectable ranking. A respectable ranking. Thank you. And Kendori, because I'm here, I had her at 26. Because I had mentioned her earlier. So um, I was was one of the high voters. I was not the high voter. But, um, yeah, proud of that one. Very nice. In fact, she didn't. She didn't even crack the top hundred. She was at one forty six. Joshi got um, a raw deal on that whole Absolute, list. Absolutely, they did. So I don't think any work has been done to rectify this, but we can only hope that things change. Yep. So stay with us as we uh, turn this podcast into the preview for the twenty twenty six greatest wrestler ever project. Yep. At, there you uh, go. Sam, there you go. Yeah. Um. We just got to find oh. a form. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness. Are we ready for match number five? Let's do it. Um, you, 
How will you say this just so I don't just screw it's, it up? So it's so it's Boyce the Grand. Okay. And Jacob Fatu from Phoenix Pro Wrestling uh, from a March 10 of 2017. So uh, Phoenix Pro Wrestling is the indie that um, started up here in Sonoma County back in 2014. Um, Sonoma County is about an hour north of San Francisco. Uh, and so as far as like what the Bay Area was like growing up for me, you know, I didn't I found out about like King of Indies and APW and Chris Daniels and Mike Minus and all that kind of after the heyday of it. Uh, I remember the Pro Wrestling Iron days when Modest and Don Morgan were running a, a school and doing shows and flew in Misawa to work a show. That's a thing that happened um, that I missed because I was away at school and Lashes couldn't go only. to the show. It's just, just, just a wild time. Uh, uh, Gaijin Jr. is going over and, and convincing the big boss to come stateside for a shot. Just, just, in, in just in just incredible piece of 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 carny work there by by morgan and modest um but boys legrand has been around since like 98 99 essentially um he was a part of a tag team called the bad boys and they worked all pro wrestling which is kind of the indie of note in the bay area and has been for the last 20 or so years they've had kind of a, a resurgence it's kind of a super indie of sorts um they had a show at the cow palace a couple of years ago when the elite uh, slash you know young bucks stuff was at full peak and cody worked it and the bucks worked it and stuff like that uh jeff cobb and guys of that you know tim thatcher have worked apw before um but you know voice would be this guy that uh you know he was always around in the bay area he never really traveled he has a family and all this stuff and he kind of became the heel of choice for uh for our, our little indie that i do commentary with with eric from Saguna Kaidan. And this is Ascendant Jacob Fatu in 2017. He had started to get some buzz around him. He had, you know, worked on some APW undercards and really shown out. Um, and it was the first time that we had gotten him to work in, in Petaluma. And he comes in against Boyce. And Boyce just basically works a, a Ric Flair Turing champion, NWA Turing champion match with him for 15 minutes. Um, and, you know, you know, this is a match that, you know, from from kind of the aftermath, I'll get to that in a minute. But like in the moment when Eric and I were watching it, we had, we we don't we obviously don't want to be in on the results. We want to know who's booked, but we don't want to know what the results are. So we can kind of, you know, call the match as a shoot, as they say. Um, but as this match was happening, we were both kind of just looking at each other like, what the hell are we watching? Like, this is just it was worked at a level that you really don't see in a lot of indies. And a lot of it is the fact that you got a guy in Boyce who's worked for 20 years and a guy like Fatu who comes, you know, he's the son of the Tonga kid and he comes from the Simone lineage and wrestling's in his blood. And so they can do this type of match in their sleep, but they do these really cool, you know, parts to it that, you know, Boyce knowing that he's the old guy here and Jacob's the up and comer, he gives him time to shine. Fatu hits a springboard clothesline in this match five minutes in, and he's this 285-pound guy on a shaky rope indie mat, you know, ring uh, in front of 300 people, and it was a legitimate pop from the crowd. Like People couldn't believe what they were seeing. Um, he hits a handspring moonsault uh, that is it's still freaking insane for a guy 300 pounds to hit in this match. And Legrand has all the great cutoff spots. 
he he goes to the eyes. He turns him into the turnbuckles. He's got uh, a couple of great runs of offense. He has a great clothesline in this match that Fatu sells like a gunshot because it had kind of become Voice's finish in Petaluma for a while. And then the stretch run to end it is tremendous with uh, Fatu hitting a drop kick off of Legrand coming off the top rope and then hitting a pop-up uh, Samoan drop, uh, hitting a swinging Uranagi, and then he comes off the top with the big splash to try and finish, and Legrand gets the knees up, and he rolls him up for the flash pin and to run away with the title you know, by the skin of his teeth. Um, and you know, that match was a match that, you know, it's, it's, a you know, we've kind of had a rough time trying to find our footing. We were kind of this throwaway indie show. We weren't getting a lot of big names, but we had some guys come through. We've had Jeff Cobb come through and J.R. Kratos come through. We'd wanted Thatcher to come through, but he was far away in the evolved time back then. And so we couldn't bring him in, even though he was a NorCal guy. Um, but that was a match that I, I knew as a wrestling fan that I could like turn around and show to you or to Dylan or some of these other hardcore guys that were invested in growing the brands of indie wrestlers as IWTV and all these other streaming mechanisms are coming along. You know, we were taping and posting our shows on YouTube back when that really wasn't a thing yet. It was kind of a thing. Um, and this was a match that I guess from what Jacob told us, um, when he came back for future shots that I guess he sent it to Booker T. This is a true story. This is like one of the damnedest things still to this day. So I guess it gets in the hands of Booker T and Booker T invites him onto his podcast and they talk about that match. They talk about this match as like a, like, yo, Fatu, like I've seen you doing these things and you're impressive, man. You got a lot of stuff behind you. And of course, a year and a half later, he's with MLW and he's their champ. And it's like uh, there, there's kind of a lot of pride for me behind this match, but um, you know you you were you were you were coming up in the fans in the kind of the waning days of two CW and and those northern NY you know feds that kind of fed into the ROHs and the JPWs of the world and like when you have a local indie kind of do good or you have a local indie kind of you know get some buzz behind them. Uh, you know, that helped us out and that helped us get some more talent in. Fatu came back and, and loved working with Boyce. He wanted to work with Boyce as much as he could. And, um, you know, that that match holds a, a, a special place in my heart, especially considering that, you know, as someone who does commentary and has done it for a long time, that it's something that I like. That's something that I can kind of hold my hat on as kind of a personal bit of pride and to do with a good friend of mine, you know, so uh this is this is the match that I, I think of any of the ten. Obviously, I think very few have seen. But like, if you're just used to kind of like a a great Ric Flair TV defense uh, of the NWA title, like on a, a like on a throwaway Saturday night or a throwaway NWA TV taping uh, against an up and comer, uh, it's that style of match with some 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 flair thrown in there, and it's tremendous. It's it's just a, it's a it's uh, it's another simple piece of pro wrestling done right, but uh, I just I have a lot of personal ties to it. Obviously, having been on commentary for it, and uh, and and also knowing that soon after, you know, Fatu would be on to bigger and better things, and Boyce would be a NorCal Hall of Famer. The, you know, two years later, so uh, uh, just a lot of good things kind of 
that remind me of it, you know, being a part of an indie, being able to do something that is fun and, you know, as escape every couple of months and uh, just, just something good to, to, to remember back in those days. So, so as you're taking this to your desert Island now, is there any concerns about you becoming disassociated with yourself as oh, you're yeah. listening to your own commentary um, 20 years from now um, as you're withering? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm absolutely like, I, I said that really. Yeah. Oh no. I absolutely was like, <laughs> be stoning myself over certain things I said for sure. So, um, but yeah, I think local feds, you having even greater personal stake in it. Um, you always want to see them succeed. Um, for the most part, you want to see, you want to have your guys, you want to have your, your wrestlers who are kind of growing in the environment as well as stretching beyond, um, and seeing what they're, it's you see you know what they're capable of and being able to see them where in your local promotion and then also be able to see them stretch and go further and stretch your legs out um yeah. is amazing it's like there's a feeling that's very few things are like that as a wrestling fan um i know a lot of people have um a variety of emotions about wrestlers get personally attached to them but I've never quite understood that on the level uh, that like certain folks will say like about um, Warhorse or Dan Hosen or Ally Cat right. or someone like them or exactly because right, um, right. I don't get it because like how can you like they're not from your home promotion they're not from your right. your your scene um, like how exactly how could you be that personally attached to someone you can't see grow and then like expand. Um, these are right. folks like these are wrestlers that are everywhere already by the time most mm-hmm. people are getting attached to them. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like someone like Jay Freddy who mm-hmm. wrestled in 2CW there where I saw him um, get booted by a wrestler who goes on to become get a WWE development contract and then gets let go um, before like um, during the days of FCW before NXT is even right. a thing. Um, and then Jay Freddy goes on to wrestle in Japan for Wrestle 1, um, having tours there, wrestling for Beyond Wrestling, which is a promotion that I came to really, really enjoy. Um, maybe not right. in my backyard, but um, in the area. It, it is, and beyond being more of a true indie probably than your super indies. Yeah. Before they themselves became a super indie. Exactly. Way, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, just, and, and then they worked obviously other places in Northern California up the West coast, but like we've had Shotzi Blackheart came through. We had Thunder Rosa come through. We had, you know, Kratos and Jeff Cobb and, and Jacob Fatu and Royce Isaacs who worked in DDT for a while. Uh, like, you know, these guys came through, they did shots with us. They liked working with us. Um, and you know, a lot of those guys, and we'll talk about this later with one of my other matches, are are friends with other guys who got big elsewhere. And so you'd hear their stories and hear about how they worked with these guys. And when a big thing happened in wrestling that they could respond to, they'd know some kind of ins and outs that you get to hear about. And, um, and yeah, like, and so, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not as in as a lot of people are who work every weekend. You know, we do shows every other month, essentially when we were running. Um, but, uh, you know, when we're all there to do a good turn, you know, a good show and to, to put everybody over and do everything we can to elevate everyone on the show to, to try and do better. 
when people do eventually do better, even if it's a small part, yeah, you obviously want to to feel that way. Um, and so this is that for me. Absolutely. This is it's it's a small contribution. It's a tiny contribution. Um, and I definitely am not going to take more credit than is owed. But uh, I'm just happy that, you know, this is something that led to a guy like Jacob getting a shot and doing doing well by it. You know, so just just happy to see that happen. For sure. I will forever be interested in what Fatu's MLW deal looks like. Um, oh, boy. Since he signed uh, a f- extension. Um, so I will, I, I will talk off air about something that <laughs> happened that uh, I don't want to I don't want to make note of publicly, even though this will be it, it's just something that I think would be better not being in a public airspace. Yeah, but yeah. I'll, let you, I'll, I'll tell you specifically what happened after the show. Um, anything else you would like to bring up about the mask from Phoenix pro? Hey, uh, you know, uh, PPW Petaluma on YouTube, go check us out. Um, obviously the highest hitting, uh, uh, videos on there are all the women's matches because wrestling fans, am I right? Um, the algorithm algorithm, man, just God, just 400, 400,000 views for a Shotzi Blackheart Thunder Rosa match. Just insane. Um, yeah, just uh, go watch it and enjoy it. It's, it's something fun to turn on. Uh, I'm sorry if I annoy you. Uh, please give me uh, feedback on how I can be better. Thank you. Yeah, you can watch some Sir Samurai matches. Um, Hell yes. Um, God, I love Sir Samurai. He's which, great. I, yeah, I was very into um, watching any promotions with YouTube shows back in the day that oh, wouldn't yeah. put like your full three hour shows, but created their own TV program that they may or may not put on like public access, um, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, and Sir Samurai was a staple. And, um, I can't remember if it was gold rush or what, but, um, he was staple in at least one of the shows I was watching. Um, man, well, I know what I'll be doing, um, this weekend. That boy, great old pro. And and very he's he's one of the best. He really is. He's great. Um. Well, all right. Um. Let's move on then to match number six. Um. From Clash of the Champions. Um. Seventeen. From Savannah Civic Center from Savannah, Georgia. It's Dustin Rhodes and Ricky Steamboy versus the Enforcers. Your second Dustin Rhodes match. Happy got got in here twice. The only person on here to get on here twice. Uh, and much deserved. Uh, so a couple things. This is a match I was, I think, seven for. Yeah, I was seven years old at the time. Um, watched it live. This was a great clash. This is one of the great clashes of all time. Um, great storyline clash. Tight two hours. Um, this is the the Sting getting injured. Rick Rude beginning of the Dangerous Alliance type situation, kind of not officially the Dangerous Alliance, but soon after the Dangerous Alliance gets built off of a lot of things that happen in this show. Um, but at Halloween Havoc, a couple weeks prior, uh, Barry Windham gets his hand crushed in a door by Larry Zabisco and uh, gets injured. And so they leads to this match at the Clash. And Dustin is without his partner. And so they go get a mystery partner. And I was totally thinking when the guy came out in the dragon outfit, that it was somebody that was like the great Muda. Muda had left. He wasn't back with WCW at the time. I was like seven. And so I was like, I'll love to see Muda again. 
and it's it turns out to be better. It's Ricky fucking Steamboat. Uh, and the place goes bananas. It's one of the great Arn Anderson reactions of all time. No, not Rick Steamboat. No, not Rick Steamboat. Uh, just apoplectic, yelling at Ross and Shivani about what the hell's going on. Uh, awkward high fives between Rhodes and Wyndham and uh, and Steamboat as they enter the ring. Um, and then legit, like one of the greatest tag team matches of all time uh, happens afterwards. Uh, Steamboat's great at the start. You have him just absolutely outclassing Zabisco and Anderson. That leads to them taking a powder and Anderson looking at Zabisco, just like, he's just a man. He's just a man. Uh, and then them kind of using their guile to finally get one over on Steamboat. Uh, and then that leads to a Dustin hot tag, which is one of the great things ever. Dustin Rose on the hot tag is one of the great Dustin, one of the great hot tags of all time. Uh, that then leads to a great finish on a blind tag because it worked for the enforcers earlier. They missed a tag earlier. So Steamboat gets a blind tag that this time gets seen. He goes up, hits the cross body on Anderson. They win the titles. Big hole of blue. Seven-year-old me running around the goddamn living room. Couldn't believe what I was watching. It was great. Um, uh, and then, you know, that leads on the losing side to Anderson and Zabisco becoming a part of the Dangerous Alliance uh, because Heyman and Rude bring them in and they bring in Austin and, and, and so on and so forth. So that's that's great that comes out of this. But um, the match itself is just um, it has the surprise, right? It has that great reveal. That's that's one of the great tropes that doesn't get used really to a great to a great extent in modern pro wrestling. Nobody really knows how to do a great surprise anymore. Um, it's so really hard. the only time, really the only time we get surprises in the rumble, you know, um, because there's so much going on that day that nobody can really keep track. And, and rumble reveals are basically the only great surprises we have left. And just um, lots of false information going out that day too. Absolutely. Um, but uh, but this was a truly great reveal. Steamboat's um, return to the WWF was not great. He he'd mentioned how much he didn't like it. You know, he had to swallow the gasoline or whatever the thing is to spit the fire during his entrance, and then he had to wrestle with it. He hated doing it. Um, and so he comes back, and WCW gives him a good payday until his unfortunate retirement a few years later. And this is the start of that. And he gets to be a great tag team wrestler, which he always was, with another guy in Dustin who's a great tag wrecker and. You know, with guys like Arn and Zabisco, these are just four guys who could do great stuff in their sleep. And there's great Arn stooging and there's great just sneaky Zabisco shit. Um, just a Memphis stall to start and just him not wanting anything to do with with Steamboat or Rhodes until he knows he's going to be in control. Just just, you know, there's a great assisted Boston Crab where they're pushing on the forehead of the other is it's just, there's so many great little touches in this match that because it's these four, they know what to do with it. Um, and, uh, it's just, uh, it's just a tremendous, tremendous piece of pro wrestling in the sense that, you know, you get a great reveal and then not only is the reveal great, but the payoff is even better. Right. Uh, and, and it plays into it. They do a good job on commentary with Shivani and, uh, and 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 Ross of putting over the surprise element and how it kind of threw everybody off and and Dustin and and Ricky know how to take advantage of that and then Arn and Larry know how to show that really emote the surprise and then once they get their bearings they think everything is 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 great until of course it's not at the end and their own kind of tactics get used against them 
Um, but it's like, it's very simple. It's like the way pro wrestling should be is, is, is very simple. And this is another great babyface payoff that, uh, is not really well done a lot of day, times nowadays. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that man, when it's done right, poof, it is done right. And, uh, you know, relative to the rest of the card, they had to do that because of what they were doing to sting later in the show. But, um, man, just, uh, just a great, great piece of work. And, um, you know, the best thing that, uh, that, uh, I remember from that era, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I thought about the, the rest of war, um, uh, you know, you know, war games match, but this match, because of what it meant when I watched it live and it was on, you know, TBS so I could watch it and have to pay for it. And it was a great payoff. It was just, uh, it, it holds a lot of memories to me. And so that's why it made it. Would you say this is the, the youth match on this one? Um, if on this list, this is the match from. Yeah, I, absolutely, young me. Yeah, that's that's actually a great question, Sam. Um, um, yeah, I'd say that. Okay, so well, you have a few other tag matches already on here, so I was just kind of curious um, where they're slotted in amongst amongst those. Um, I would say like the All Japan match and even the um, All Japan women's match, probably a bit differentiated, but then to even have another Dustin Rhodes match. Um, this having that little extra attachment. Um, yeah. Really helps. You know, Dustin, you know, when he and Barry beat Williams and Gordy for the tag titles on Saturday night, that was a big moment for me. I was a huge Dustin fan. I love Dustin, you know, from a young age. And of course I think I fell, I didn't like fall out of love with, with him when he became gold dust, but I just remember loving Dustin Rhodes you know, uh, and like kind of seeing what it became, I was like, I wish he could have been more like that as years went on. And, you know, he found his happy medium down the road. Uh, but, uh, man, just this era of Dustin is just unassailable, man. Just absolutely unassailable. Three, four years of just being one of the best guys you could put in the ring at that point, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, also Dylan and Papa Hills at this match. Oh wow! Yeah, Dylan, Dylan dropped that, that on out. me a few years. Yeah, yeah, Dylan dropped that on me a few years ago that he was at this match and was like, "Yeah, you suck." So thanks, appreciate yeah, that. He was, he was only he was only twenty around the time. Yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, he was a young guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he knew the boys, right? Um. Well, there we go. Um, anything else you want to add to to this one? Um, no, I, I love the enforcers too. Short run. Uh, didn't get a lot of chances to tag even as the Dangerous Alliance uh, stuff went on. Uh, they had the really weird Bill Kazmaier thing. Uh, but I love them as a tag team. I thought they were great. And um, uh, I think I voted for them in the GWE top 25 tag teams. I think I did at least. But uh, good stuff. Watch more Enforcers matches. Hell yeah. All right. Well, then um, let's move on to match number seven. Um March 17th, 2000, from Arena Mexico, uh, it is Lannis versus uh, Valhalla 3, Mask versus his Mask. Why did this match make your list? So this was the first Apuestas match I've ever seen. Um, it's not the first Lucha match I saw ever. Uh, I think the first Lucha match I saw was uh, the first was the Win Worlds Collide tag. Uh but this was the match 
this is, you know, famously, right? A lot of people joke that this is the only Lucha match that Dave Meltzer's ever seen, right? This is this is kind of the famous quip with him. The one, the one match of the year somehow in 2000. Uh, but it's, as time has gone on, this has aged so well, especially considering what um, a plus matches has become in Mexico with Arena Mexico, of course, saying, at least in CMLL, uh, with their no blood policy. And that being more maybe on AAA with their Apuestas matches, which they have more than leaned into uh, uh, with their Apuestas matches in recent years. Um, but this is like, I think, you know, you know, and it varies. I know people kind of have different thoughts on like Viano 5 Blue Panther in 2008. But I think this is probably the last great, like, old style Apuestas match. Um I, I like the Blue Panther Biano five match a lot, except for the finish. The finish, oh God, don't get me started on the finish. Um, but you know, going going into this match, you know, this was something of there was a there was a lot on the line here. You know, Biano three famously had never lost in a Puestas match. He had almost like two dozen Apuestas wins, I want to say at this point. Like he was, like people knew that when he was in an Apuestas match, he never lost. Like that was a thing, right? And so Atlantis, you know, El Idolo de los Niños, uh, he's in this match and this is the match that basically makes him in a lot of ways. You know, CML to that point, it was a lot of Santo, it was a lot of Casas, and Atlantis was kind of like the next tier below that. But, you know, he was always around. He was a great trios guy. And, you know, in singles matches, he had his shots, but he was never really considered a major kind of main eventer. And he gets a shot here uh, in the biggest match of his career against a guy in Viana 3 who, like we talked about, has won a Puesas match after a Puesas match in his career. And uh, five minutes in, one of the great lucha spots of all time with the Tope Suicida from Viano three, that, that man, a gusher is to say the least. Atlantis's white mask is red within about two minutes. Um, just an all timer of a spot and the slow motion replay that shows exactly where Viano three hits him head to head. Uh, and then of course, you know, just the blade job of all blade jobs. Um, but the, the thing to take away from this match, besides the drama and besides the fact that Arena Mexico wants Viano 3 to kind of honor his legacy as this oppressed as God, uh, as much as they want Atlantis, who gets booed. Atlantis gets booed coming out. Like, the Viano 3 fans, very vocal in this match. Um, but this is the night to make Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, you know, and... Viano three does that in, in, in so many great ways. The one thing about this match is that it is, it is just nonstop. There's very little downtime. They are constantly going for something to get a flash pin or a submission. Um, it's not as deliberate as the Casa Santos match that you love. And that I almost put on this list, but it is something that, has this pace to it that just seems like never ending. And because 
of what Viano three does in a Plessis match when he, you know, almost gets the Cristo Negro in, or he's getting his various submissions in, or getting his fluke roll-ups in, in, in a couple of ways that it could end at any point. And they play that up to a great degree. Um, you know, the first Atlantida to, uh, attempt that fails, that is such a huge deal. And that there's this audible kind of groan and gasp at the fact that Viano three was able to, get out of it before Atlantis went to his knees and kind of the lead up to the second one. And then, you know, you'll, you'll know up in the Pantheon with one of the great referee ring bell calls of all time. When, uh, uh, Atlantis sinks it in and Viano gives up falling backwards and saying it's over as he takes a bump. Uh, and just this eruption, this roar from the crowd, and, and 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 the post match is insane. Ray Mendoza, this is his son that he's unmasking that he trained from being a teenager almost thirty years prior. He's unmasking his son. There's incredible interviews after this that really play it up and and just heartfelt. And you really feel that as much as it sucks that Viano three is gone, you know, and Arturo Mendoza remains, that there's just this incredible. This is a moment. This is one of those things that just has an air about it that can't really be repeated. And, you know, his post-interview, uh, Atlantis's post-match interview, Ray Mendoza's post-match interview, where he's like in tears over what happened with his son and how proud of him he was for what he did in his career, as this is basically the last big thing that Viano 3 really ever does. Um, and what it meant to, to, to him to see this, it was just like, if you're a Lucha fan at all, um, you know, this this is a match that I hope you've seen. And if you're not and you're interested in it, this is as good a start as any uh, to kind of get an understanding of what this is. And this w- was really cool is that, you know, 20 years you know, ago, this match happened and people started watching because the TV became available, watching the TV leading up to it. I haven't done that yet. And so I'd really like to see because a lot of people talk about how good the TV is kind of leading up to this match and and how that really adds to it and uh, i'm kind of interested to see how that does because uh the match itself uh very few matches touch it in 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 lucha history you know i think that maybe there's it's in the top five of plus's matches maybe top three of plus's matches of all time depending on uh on what your your uh your your mileage varies there but uh just an, an incredible piece of work. And like, it's the match that if you quote unquote, don't get Lucha, it is the match that I think you, you cannot deny how great it is by the time you're done with it. You know? So, yeah, for sure. I think it's one of those matches that I think, um, fans from all ilks typically find to be great. Um, yeah, this is, this is one of those matches. That's a kind of a temple match that I think, stands up for everybody with regardless of fandom yeah yeah i think lucha by and large is considered harder to get into um sure for lots of um american fans i guess i, I don't know what else to say um in sure. this match kind of for whatever reason i think whether it be the spectacle of it all whether it be kind of stylistically not really becoming Maybe the tr- just 
punching brawls. Of... Yeah, this isn't a brawling match. No, this no. absolutely is not. And it's not like the kind of the technical. Well, it is a technical match, but it's not like like Casas and, and Santo is a complete outlier when it comes to an Apuestas match. Like yeah. that match is on its own island in regards to how an Apuestas match is done, you know. Um, but yeah, this this is this is not your MS1 Sangre Chicana Apuestas match, you know. Uh, which I considered, I definitely considered. Um, but this match just hits home for me. It absolutely does. Yeah. Nor is it some of the map-based um, championship matches right. that folks can't seem to yeah. get into all that much. So um, it kind of blends those kind of things together for something that's <laughs> bloody, something that feels lucha still. Um, yeah, it's an all-timer. That's for sure. Um, yeah. The opening, the opening mat work before the. The tope is great. Like they are trading holds and it's freaking great maestro work. Like it is tremendous good stuff. Like I know Viano three can go, but like Atlantis, I always saw him more as a guy who could kind of stand up and kind of trade holds and stuff like that. He wasn't a great mat worker to me, mm-hmm. but he, he brings it in this freaking match. Like he absolutely is up there with Viano three on the mat for this match. So for sure. Absolutely. So. Um, Anything else you would like to kind of bring to this match? Um, it's going to be the spoiler. It's going to be the only luge match we talk about. Um, yeah, sadly. And and I will say that I think I had a very difficult time not having more than one lucha match on here because um, as I started kind of filling in, like I talked about with like uh, the personal matches and the matches that like I needed to get these people in that I was just like, I was running out of room. Um, but I easily um, could have filled this match with uh, a bunch of matches, both notable and maybe under the radar that um, that would have been great. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, Lucha is great. Watch more Lucha. Please. Watch more Lucha. Watch more Lucha, please. There we go. Um, moving on to match number eight then. Um, from the WWN mm. Live Super Show, Mercury Rising, uh, from 2015, taking place yeah. at the Santa Clara County Fairgrounds. It's Chris yeah. Hero versus Timothy Thatcher. You didn't know this was going to be a We Don't Know Evolve show, did you? Who knew? Who knew? Hey, get Bucky in here. Let's do this. Um, <laughs> so this is another personal affinity match. So this is, of course... For people, this is the kind of the proto uh, WrestleMania weekend uh, event. Um, you know, when Gabe was trying to get on the old NXT booking team, uh, even back then in 2015, he decided to run Evolve against NXT. Uh, there was two Evolve shows this weekend uh, that happened, and then the WWN Super Show. For the uh, multitude of promotions under the WWN banners, you know, Sam. Um, APW ran a King of Indies tournament this same day. It was very strange day. Very, very strange day. Um, but uh, the reason why, you know, me and Eric and our friend Sean went down to this show was because of this match. Um, the show itself is really laid out strange um a lot of it has to do with the fact that i guess uh galloway had to book a flight for a show that he didn't know about and had to catch a flight 
And so what I guess ostensibly would have been the main event of this show, which was Galloway versus Johnny Gargano to unify the uh, Dragon Gate USA title in the Evolve Championship. Uh, that got put in like fourth. There we it, go. It was, it, I mean, say, the I middle mean, main event, just the middle of the show. Uh, Rich Swan opened the, the show, you know, show doing his all night long entrance and then got beat up. It was great. Um, but this is another show that the crowd was really, I think, so two things. So because it was the last show of the day in which we know with WrestleMania weekend shows is what happens. It's the last show of the day. And really the crowd is kind of out of it until it gets to the match they really wanted to see. And there were good people on this show. You know, you had Biff and you had Drew and you had Tommy End and, uh, you know, you had Galloway when he was working his ass off to try and, and get another big deal, which he eventually did and good for him. Uh, but like, you know, the, the crowd was kind of dead. It wasn't really a great crowd. Uh, you know, Eric, you know, Rich Swan got him off to a good start, but then once that ended, that was basically the high point of the show until this match. And, you know, Thatcher faced Tommy end the night before, uh, in a really good match and, 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 and had a good showing and, uh, and, uh, you know, hero, was on a rampage at this point and he was kind of the the gatekeeper of evolve he was the guy that you know wasn't really going to get a title run but he was always going to be in the mix and thatcher was you know he was in the area right he's a norcal guy they're going to bring him in and he had been working with evolve a little bit to that point but him and, and hero had never faced off before and you know at the show where a bunch of his you know training training buddies from supreme pro wrestling up in sacramento at the time, Phoenix Pro Wrestling was uh, six months old, and we saw a lot of the guys that worked those sh- shows at the show, and they were actually directly across from where we were. I was across from Hard Cam right by the entrance, and they were on the other side of the guardrail. And we kind of like exchanged some very odd, awkward, we kind of know you but don't really know you nods, but we were both there for Tim. And this match starts with Chris Hero, one of the greatest of all time, realizing this crowd is dead. How can I get them into it? And so he starts jawing with a fan at ringside for, I think, the first two minutes before the bell rings. And then he's going around as the dueling chants start, and Thatcher's just stoically standing there, just kind of waiting for Hero to get in the ring to start this thing. But it's, like, masterful that hero takes a dead crowd who's tired, who's seen a bunch of wrestling today and says, no, you're going to be awake for this match. And sure enough, they were. And it's incredible, great crapple fuck stuff to start right up Thatcher's alley. And, you know, hero can go with anybody. And so, you know, he's right there with him. But then, you know, once he gets his first big strike of the match and starts working over Thatcher, that's when things kind of change. And he's able to do what he wants to do you know, better than Thatcher does because Thatcher hasn't really been in an element like this before. Uh, you know, he had Tommy the the night before and, you know, he's another striker like hero, but he's probably a little bit more predictable and definitely not as good as hero is. And so how does he come from that match and come away and beat a guy like hero? Um, and that kind of cat and mouse game where Thatcher outclasses hero Hero realizes if I get one good shot in, I can take advantage, and he does. And then Thatcher kind of working from underneath over time, figuring it out, 
finding his openings, trying to get in a submission here or there. And then a great finish where, you know, the night before Hero finished with, you know, I think four or five rolling elbows and then a tombstone. And here he just crushes Thatcher with four elbows, goes for the cover, but has a tough time getting Thatcher over from the prone position over onto his back. And then Thatcher in one is his great tradition, you know, you know, you know, submissions, grabs a flash Fujiwara and taps him out and the crowd freaking loses it. Um, and we were banging on the freaking guardrails. And, you know, as he's going back, I yelled that boy, Timmy. And it's the last thing you hear before they cut to the next match. And, but the match itself is tremendous and they'd go on to have a couple of great ones. There's one a few months later that, uh, more people I think saw because there weren't the video issues watching that live, uh, as the, you know, as you would tend to see with most WWM live shows. Um, but it's a, just a brilliant piece of work and another great feather in hero's cap for knowing when to do the right thing with the right guy and maximize the best things about him to put him in a position to get over on a larger scale. He was one of the greatest of all time at doing that, of making sure he gets the best out of talent uh, across from him. If he understands their strengths and this is part of that two year run where he's unassailable as one of the, you know, and builds his case that were we doing a true greatest wrestler ever uh, pull maybe next year to akin to what we did in 2016, he'd be pretty high on a lot of lists, um, especially on the modern side. And uh, this is just another great example of it. And it's, it's, it's one of Thatcher's greatest matches, if not his greatest match. And uh, I know a lot of people kind of say that he's in his bubble. You have to work the quote unquote Thatcher style when you're in there with him. But this just showed that as long as he's in there with the right guy, it doesn't really matter how Thatcher wrestles. He's going to figure out his way and and make the best of it. And so, uh, you know, sometimes Gabe knows what he's doing. I'll give him that. Not sometimes. a lot of the time. Sometimes. 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 Perhaps. Sometimes just gets lucky. I uh, mean, yeah. I mean, you guys were 30 shows away from getting to this point, you know. So we had, I was really anxious for you to get to this point. Yeah. Uh, oh. if you don't know Evolve. So maybe one day, maybe one day, bring it back. Um, so. but yeah, it's one of the great, um, evolve matches, great WWN matches, FIP for life. Um, absolutely big Roddy strong. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, CM Punk club, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and obviously like Thatcher, I would, def- I would define Thatcher as one of your guys. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. One of my guys. So, um, makes sense that you want to have a Thatcher match on the list proper outside of the honorable mention of the, the Makabe match. Um, him going against the indie legend, um, not the only match they have, but, um, probably the peak of them. Um, and- yeah, a lot of people like the PWG match because, you know, Meltzer was there and he, you know, kind of pumped that up. But I, I think this is the better of the two matches for sure. Yeah, and definitely in a promotion that maybe didn't always have the greatest of crowds. Um, this definitely no. felt electric. No, and and this and like I said, it was almost all due to Hero. Uh, you know, Thatcher had his guys there because he was local, but Hero knew from the moment he walked out, he's like, I need to get these guys, and he got them one hundred percent, and uh, just woke everybody up, and 
made the match what it was because of it. So, uh, just a just a freaking master, man. Just 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 a master. I'm. I don't think I I I want him. I don't know what he's doing next. Right. This is a weird time for him. You know, but I I want I I want one more run. I think he could do so many good things, but I don't know what that looks like for him nowadays. But for just man, that 20, 2015, 2016 run for him is just just aces, man. Absolutely aces. Uh, yeah. Hero's one of the best to ever do it, and I don't think a lot of people. I think right now people are starting to evaluate that. Um, as far as the internet folks are going, um, correct. That hey, maybe we should kind of revise the, what we were looking at, especially not just hero prep, but from a lot of people, um, wrestling around this era. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And hero has moved from someone that like a fringe person that you might consider as a great wrestler to someone that, oh, maybe he really is one of the all-timers. Um, maybe he did not wrestle on the biggest of stages. Um, but damn, was he great when, when he was in there. Yeah. Um, regardless. Yeah. I, I, I Like I said, I think that as far as getting the most out of the people he's worked across from or with in tag teams, JT Dunn, how we doing? Um <laughs> You know, it's Daniel Bryan and him. Yep. Probably. Yeah, for sure. Maybe I'm 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 kind of I don't I'm not sure. I mean, Casas, if you want to go outside of it, but definitely as far as like on a wide scale, constantly, uh, obvious like all the time, making NXT UK watchable. Not an easy task. Not an easy task. Not at all. So, so my 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 lasting note from this is Chris Hero, you're the freaking goat, man. Absolutely, bless him. Just the best. Um, all right. Are are you ready to move on to match number nine? I am. Um, it is going to be from UWFI. Um, from June tenth, nineteen ninety four. It is the world, the Pro Wrestling World Tournament semifinal, Super Vader versus Kyoshi. Tamara, um, Tamara, um, yeah, Tim, what, what's up with this? Why, why late, this match here? Late entry. Um, yeah, as I was say, this, uh, spoiler. This is a this is the match that was swapped in. Yeah, uh, I I, I realized as I was watching this, I needed a freaking Vader match on my list. I was like, how do I how do I miss Vader on this thing? Um, and I also need a sprint. I don't have a sprint on this, Sam. All these matches are long. And that's just um, not that's not how wrestling should be. So I'm glad no, you did this. No, uh, I, I figured you'd like that. I think I think it was you who said that wrestling should be no longer than 20 minutes, or like a match should be no something like that, something along those lines. I think anything over four, 15 is you're you're trying to right. you're doing too much. I'm screw I've, I've screwed that over with this list. Half of them are over <laughs> 30. So, um, but this is this is like the Eddie Brock match distilled into the most basic elements possible. Um, so there's a couple things here. So UWFI, you know, people, do, it's one of the shoot style promotions, the, you know, Takata from Maeda in the eighties into the nineties is the third iteration of it. There's the UWF in the early eighties, UWF 2.0, and then UWFI that Takata, uh, kind of ran for a few years there between his shots in new Japan and UWF 2.0. Um, and then, you know, he'd become, the, then we have hustle 
you know, thank you, Takata. Um, but so this match, Vader was was a great presentation in a shoot environment. Just this big mauler that really if just sticks out like a sore thumb amongst all these, you know, kickboxing, jujitsu, uh, you know, karate uh, type guys, taekwondo guys, uh, grapplers. And he's facing a guy in Tamura who's one of the youngest guys on the roster at that point. But he is just this absolute dynamite. He is kind of the Junakiyama of shoot style wrestling at that point. And he gets to the semifinals of this tournament. He's kind of like the number two or number three native in the promotion at this point. But he's this like cocky little 175 pound prick that is going up against Vader like at the peak of his powers. This is 94. WCW let him work this show as their world heavyweight champion. This is like, this is peak Vader here. Um, And he comes in and he's expected to just kind of maul his way to the finals. And he's in there with Gary Albright before he runs in the, you know, he does his run in all Japan. And there's this opportunity for them to meet in the final. Um, you know, Albright has to face Takata and Vader faces Tamura. And this is seven minutes. Uh, basically, Tamura uses late kicks like jabs in this match. And after a while, it starts to really get to Vader. And Vader's down to one knee and he's wobbly and it allows Tamura to get some head kicks in and go for knee bars as soon as he can. Whereas for Vader, it's like if I get one shot to stun him, he's he's trying to knock him out. And it's it's a very simple, another great simple pro wrestling story, but it's it's the attention to detail. So UWFI has a point system where if you're knocked down, you lose three points. It's a 15 point scale, and once you get to zero points, you're done. And so Vader knows that if he can get a true knockdown five times in a match with his style, that's what makes him great. Whereas rope breaks are two points and things of that nature. And so for grapplers against each other, it's kind of a more of a, uh, an, an even matchup. But for a guy like Vader, whose shots as a super heavyweight can just knock almost anybody down, he's like, all I need is five good shots and I freaking win a match. He's like, let's sign me up for this. And so it's great that Tamura kind of understands this. And so he is just doing everything he can to stick and move and use these leg kicks. And Vader is just all about one of the great things he does in UWFI is he cuts off the ring and he basically is just daring somebody to try and make a move against him so he can back him into a corner and just start pummeling him. And Tamura understands this. And so because he's smaller, he's one of the few guys that can actually like kind of get around that. Takata can kind of do that, but he's a little slower. But Tamura can do it, and he's like this little gnat that just continues trying to chop Vader down. But this match is because Vader ends up catching him. And when he catches him, he crushes him. He absolutely knocks him silly there are some insane shots that Tamura takes in this match and then the finishing stretch is great where you know Tamura gets his second shot at an e-bar and as soon as Vader's able to catch him he's like screw this I'm just gonna slam his ass to the mat as hard as I can and so that drop power slam leads to the second to last knockdown 
And then after a second one where he tries to kind of throw him overhead that Tamura is able to roll through, Vader just says nah and then just freaking crushes him with a powerbomb to finish the match off. Um, And it's a full seven minutes and 17 seconds. And it's worked at a pace that's just tremendous. There's great little transitions. Um, You see kind of the guy Tamura becomes in the rings matches later on against Volkan and into the later stages of his uh, career, one of the great batting average wrestlers of all time himself. Um, but uh, just just a tremendous little match. And a great, like, in a, in a situation like this, put a sprint on. Go to, to number nine on this. Seven minutes, totally enjoyable, and uh, and a great distillation of what pro wrestling really is. Yeah, I, I love one shoot style, and Vader was... Um, truly amazing at kind of blending pro wrestling into that style of professional wrestling. Right. Um, right. Tamora is one of the best ever. Um, one very much one of the best ever to be a pure shoe stylist. Um, yeah, and this match just rules. Um, again, like you said, um, closes around seven minutes, sub ten minute match. That's just you. You'll want one of those. Um if you're going to be somewhere for a prolonged period of time to just interrupt the flow of things, if nothing else, okay. um, compared mm-hmm. to your, your 30 minute plus epics you got here on some of them. Um, yeah, I love this match and I'm really glad you included it. Thanks man. Yeah. Uh, I had Tumor at 45 for what it's worth in my GW pool. Um, uh, like I said, like when he was on a stage, like when you put him in a big match, it's rare to find a match he wasn't great in, you know? Uh, it's just, just, a, just a tremendous worker. And, you know, as great as Sakuraba got when he went from the worked environment into the shoot environment and became this absolute freaking legend, uh, there's part of me that wonders, like, why Tamura doesn't have, like, Minoru Suzuki's career, you know? Uh, I know he doesn't have maybe the charisma of Suzuki, but it's like, why isn't he just like a New Japan Juniors gatekeeper or something at this point? Like, it's just really strange. Really strange. Yeah. What what stopped him from being able to wrestle one more consistently? Because even in his prime, he was not the most right. active wrestler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what holds him back more than anything else as far as um, being viewed with such high regard. Um, he didn't really burst out of his bubble um, as much as some other wrestlers. Right. Um, a shame. A shame. Yeah, for um, sure. Anything? Yeah, one of those. One of those guys. Him and Kendori, very similar to me, and uh, that I wish I saw. I wish they both worked more often than they did. Uh, I know Kendori kind of worked more regular than, um, than than uh, than Tamura did, but like on a big stage, both of them very similar in how they showed out and how they perform so well there's that um that's number nine um anything else you'd like to add to vader versus tomorrow hey watch more shoot style oh, for sure watch more shoot style watch more lucha mm-hmm. um get out of your bubble there we go that's right please match number so, 10 yep final battle 2008 from the hammerstein ballroom it is brian danielson versus takeshi morishima why did you put this match as the last match on your Desert Island comp? Well, I needed a Brian Danielson match. You needed and that, it. And 
Well, I mean, it's hard not to, right? And God, there's just the Brian, Brian and Negro Casas kind of match up for me in the sense that's like, what do you choose? Like, like there's just an incredible catalog of like kind of minor matches that he makes great. Uh, Casas, one of the great lightning match workers of all time, right? Just uh, so good in being able to take 10 minutes with somebody and like turning into something like, why was that great? I was like, cause it's Nego freaking Casas, but he was also great in uh, big matches. He was great. He was a great, you know, kind of feud catalyst. Right. And Brian, when he was at his peak uh, was all those things too. When he was the ROH champion and he was having kind of second tier challengers to his title, like he made the Lance storm match. Good. You know, I mean, that happened. He had a match with 2006 Lance Storm, and it was good. Bless him. You know? You know? I mean, he, it's like... He made people think that Lance Storm really was an underrated worker who was uh, secretly a super worker. Right. Um, the likes of um, Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Boy, yeah. Um, that was a thing. That buzz was a thing, folks. Like, that was a real thing after that match happened. Um, but this is the culmination of one of the great things that he ever did for somebody else. So the story, I think a lot of people know going into his first match with Morishima in July of 20 of 2007 was he had seen Morishima on the few of the shots that he had run for ROH. Right. Uh, and he won the ROH world title, but he basically said, it's like, dude, you need to like lay it in. He basically told him, you need to lay it in. Like you're 325 pounds, lay it the fuck in. Right. <laughs> so before their first match together, <laughs> Morishima lays it in and detaches his damn retina. <laughs> right. So he, he listened, he listened. <laughs> um, that is a brutal match to watch. So ROH put that up for free on their YouTube channel. I remember watching that, um, I want to say last year, the year before when they put it up, that that is a brutal match. It really is, um, considering how early on the detached retina happens with those stomps in the corner, uh, and then just and then Brian just leaning into it a couple more times in the match because oh Daniel Dan, Brian Danielson man what 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 a professional wrestler, um, but this match is. You know, this is kind of the match where if you were out on Danielson as more than just a quote-unquote great match worker, this is him putting everything he knows about pro wrestling together really in one match. It is him working underneath against a monster, which is one of my favorite things he does, right? Him against big wrestlers, his Mark Henry matches, his, uh, you know, the freaking the cane match like he works great against bigger guys um and of course the the history between him and morishima that led to this match kind of baked into you know this match having this air about it that was that had a danger to it you know like an actual legitimacy to it and uh, it's a great start right with him instead of coming out to his usual final countdown entrance he jumps morishima from behind with the springboard knee and then throws him into the crowd and hits the springboard plancha 
And then when it hits final countdown in his music, he does the final countdown pose with the rest of the crowd. Just a great piece of work. Um, and then, you know, the match starts proper and it's kind of like this great type of King Kong match where Morishima is able to post Danielson, bloody him. And then the, the next five minutes of the match is Brian trying to figure out how to get back into the ring as Morishima just keeps him on the outside. And it's this great mountain that but that Danielson has to climb to, to kind of get back into it. Um, and then when the chain gets involved with the choking, I think that's probably the one thing I wish had more of it. Like the chain work in this until the finish is kind of like just it's just there. You know, there's not a lot that happens. <laughs> it kind of looms large. Um, and I kind of wish that outside of the finish where they did something, they could have probably done more. Um, but this is Morishima, you know, fresh after winning the GHC title against Masawa, like coming out fe- feeling full, you know, fully realized and just kicking Danielson's ass. Like this is a hellacious ass kicking. Uh, the lariats, the kicks of the face, like there are some hard, hard shots in this match. Um, and, you know, Danielson working as this fired up baby face looking for revenge, which kind of becomes his norm once he finally becomes a baby face uh, in WWE down the line is, is one of the things he's best at. You know, I know he loves being a heel. I know he's great at working heel. Um, but him as a fully realized baby face is, is, is him at his best. And this match, I think maybe not his best quote unquote overall representation of that. It might not even be his quote unquote best match, but it has the most of the things I like about him as a professional wrestler in this match. Um, elevating somebody, getting the most out of an opponent, uh, great selling, great pacing, great transitions, a great sense of the moment, a great idea behind what he wants to get across uh, in certain aspects of the match. And uh, at the end of the day, he, you know, he goes over and it's done in a way that still, you know, protects Morishima as this monster who ran roughshod over the company for two years. Um, and he does it in a way that back in the good old days with, with how ROH kind of books stuff, you know, it, it seemed like the right thing to do. And, and it was, you know, everything kind of wrapped up in, in a nice bow. And it was this shining example of what Daniel Bryan was, was the best or Brian Danielson was at the best, uh, you know, was the best in the world at doing at that point. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, you got one of the great commentary teams in the history of indie wrestling on this too, you know, and Dave and Lenny do a great job. Uh, and, uh, Lenny, especially, just just tremendous stuff and uh the whole package is great and uh and i think it's a great way to kind of put a put a bow on the uh the 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 10 matches that make this up yeah that's kind of that that wraps it up um one of the modern greats brian dance and maybe one maybe the best ever to to do it um yeah it makes sense for all the reasons you listed why you picked this over um so many other matches, whether that be one of his WWE matches, whether that be the Punk Cena Lesnar match, um, 
whether that be one of his other ROH matches um, against a key or a yeah. um, hero even or uh, a Nigel, which has been probably one of the ones that you would you would think most of first time with ROH is the Nigel matches. Right. Um, which, and, you know, with good reason have become less inclined to be rewatched over time, uh, sadly, you know, but it's uh, it's it's tough, though, because like, yeah, like he has so many bright spots it's very difficult to kind of figure out which one is the brightest you know yeah but you put picked one that was one violent one um him against a much bigger opponent um so you get to see him play kind of the wrestler that has to play from underneath um against the monster um as well as someone that might just not be flat out as good um as Morishima as uh as Danielson um where he does have to do some level of uh, elevating um, his opponent um, to to amp this up um, and do it across twenty minutes. So, yeah, I get it. I get it. And that's um, for this list. Um, you want to have a Danielson match? I think this is a pretty good uh, representation of him and plays in contrast to some of the other matches that might be more flat out best matches these folks have had or best matches of a style even. Um, yeah. So that's awesome. Or, no, I think it's great. It's, it's also kind of the most violent match also uh, on, on the tape, which I didn't really realize until just now. Like I, I don't have a lot of bloodshed on my, on my, uh, no, on my list. Uh, I probably, I probably could have changed that up a little bit, but uh, you know, I think it works yeah. out. I think it works out. You've got stuff that is from your local scene. You have stuff that matches that are more based around, okay, let me see how many of my favorite wrestlers I can get in by adding certain matches, matches that you were there for that just felt um, more impactful because of that, um, as well as wrestlers that were your guys and you were there for, um, as well as matches that represent a style um, and a sort of substance, um, in some cases, um, in different eras of your fandom, whether they be from you posting on message boards, whether it be you now, um, having some part of the business, um, whether it be from your childhood and mm-hmm. kind of all that is wrapped up in these 10 matches. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that so. makes a great, great compilation. I tried, you know, I'm, I'm always somebody that tries to, um, get a lot of as much, you know, I, I don't try and focus on one. Uh, I have been that in the past. I've really kind of dove into certain styles or certain promotions and spent a lot of time there. Um, uh, did that my first kind of dive into Lucha, uh, probably I would say over a decade ago when, uh, uh, when CMLL kind of had its second boom in 2004, uh, and, and some of the great stuff there, but, uh, you know, with Mystico and Ultimo Guerrero. And I was like a huge Lucha guy for that time and was watching weekly TV. I was like, I was like, like I was into it. Um, and then I went to my indie phase and my all Japan women's phase. I, I had all these different phases, but like, as I've stepped back and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like you, I'm kind of detached from modern wrestling. I kind of cherry pick modern wrestling, but I have seen enough and appreciate enough that I can at least absorb either through rewatching old stuff or 
applying the stuff that I'm seeing now to some of the stuff I've loved over the years that uh, it, it's it's made my taste eclectic and I've tried to uh, veer from the uh, kind of mainstream as much as I can, even though I definitely have chalk on this list. But, uh, you know, there's there's definitely things that given the right exposure and the right uh, buy in that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give a shot nowadays. But um, I, I think that I've, I have to be kind of coerced more than, say, maybe five years ago. So I get that we're all a little older, a little, hey, this is where we are now. Right. Um, and I would say a pandemic in the world certainly does not make someone want to loosen up their, their comfort right. zone at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I cannot blame anyone for that, even if it was maybe occurring beforehand. I don't think it definitely does not help. Um, it does not m- motivate to kind of change those paths. Um, but we're not quite done yet. Nope. Because you have three angles that we're going to go over here. Um, first up, it's Mark Henry's retirement ceremony. Yeah. From June 17th. Break uh, it down man. for me. Why do you love it? I mean, this is just like, so I talked about earlier how kind of modern wrestling has not done a great job with surprises. Right. And, uh, you know, Henry's run late aughts, early, you know, early tens was tremendous, like opened eyes to me, uh, just how great of a wrestler he was, um, maximizing what he did best and really doing these things that relative to other big men that came through that company just still haven't touched him in so many ways. Right. And so kind of had the injuries pile up a guy of 400 pounds that'll happen to you. Right. And goes out there and he's wearing the salmon suit. <laughs> he's it's the week after my birthday. And I'm just sitting there going like, I, it's like, this sucks, man. It's like, he's, he's Mark Henry's going to do it. And you, you just, you don't see it coming. You just you'd never see it coming, and you're watching it live and and Cena's there, and then he slams him, and that's just like I I hadn't popped for anything that hard in a really long time, probably since Punk won the the belt from Cena two years prior, right? Yeah. Um, but it was just like it was just a, it was an incredible moment. And this thing that with years now to, to kind of process it, and it's become a meme and it became the part of his high, you know, his hall of fame speech and all this stuff that it's just like, you know, it's kind of why we watch this, right? It's like, that's a moment that has stuck. Like that's one of the last great moments of when I was a real true every week fan, you know? And, uh, before I just kind of, you know, when it came to grad school and stuff, I just kind of fluttered away and became more fair weather. Um, but it's just like, just that surprise. And, uh, it was a great promo. Henry hit all the right notes. He really made it personal. He really, uh, made sure that you, you were buying into literally everything of it. And it's like, is I got a lot left in the tank, man. I got a lot left in the tank. Uh, I think just tremendous. On just some tremendous. level, that's what makes it work so well. Is that oh, absolutely? Um, 
even if there was no surprise, even if there was no hard hard left there at the end, um, and this was Mark Henry's re- retirement speech, um, that would have been a feel good moment. Like maybe Absolutely. it wouldn't be an all timer situation, but it would have been a moment like, oh, okay. You rarely get to see moments like this where someone's raw and vulnerable um, and gets to be on live TV, not on a Hall of Fame ceremony, um, taking a bow. Um, So the fact that it could have just cut, ended, there we go, and been still totally cathartic experience, uh, and then have him end up just slamming the biggest star in professional wrestling um, instead is was great in the the salmon jacket i think is what he'll always be known for in this this uh angle um because it's a great fit and it's just from beginning to end kind of just a great moment um that we don't get a lot of no and and he's had a couple of those there's that raw where he was like the a super over face that got a title shot that night and he had the crowd in the palm of his hand and he was conducting the crowd. And like he's had these incredible moments um, throughout his career. These kind of like like when he's when he has when he's given something like he he does a lot with it. Um, and I think just kind of the injuries and the kind of propensity to lean on him is kind of the heavy and the bad guy kind of led to some times where until the hall of fame stuff happened, he was underutilized or misutilized. Um, and this was one of the times I got it right with him. And it was, it's great to see that type of stuff with a guy like Mark who, uh, I think is another guy who I'd be interested to see what people would think of his career, uh, now relative to 2016. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, moving on here, it is um, Sigelfay unmasking as Dean Malenko um, from WCW Slamboree. Why is this Matt? Why is this moment um, on your head? It, it's a um, because I think that while you know the coming out of nowhere with Henry, uh, just kind of that shock and a guy that I really liked getting a moment like that. This was just like one of the great kind of old school payoffs to an angle that, uh, you know, it's another mid card angle that did well. Right. So this is Chris Jericho's the cruiserweight champ. He does the whole, you know, he, he's been giving Malenko shit for months. He did the whole list of a thousand and four holds. He's calling himself the man of a thousand and four holds. He did the introductions to everybody in this battle royal and was doing all the jokes on their behalf and all this stuff. So he's over as this heel. Uh, Malenko had been kind of off TV for a little bit. And so uh, they run the Cruiserweight Battle Royal to see who would face Jericho later in the show. Uh, It's a decent match, you know, unless you're a battle royal, you know, lover like Eric, you, you probably would think it's fine. Um, it comes down to Juventud Guerrera in play kind of at the end, uh, which everybody's like, oh, that's crazy. What the hell? How's play get in there, right? Uh, uh, and then Juve pats him on the shoulder uh, and then does a vault over the top rope to the floor. And all of a sudden, 
uh, secret place starts to kind of unmask, and you see the crowd being like, wait, what the hell is going on? Uh, Jericho gets in the ring, is in unmasking, and it's Malenko. And Malenko just goes after his ass for five minutes and then taps him out with the Cloverleaf to win the belt. And it's cathartic. It's a great moment. It takes a guy like Malenko, who wasn't thought to have a lot of personality or to have a lot of uh, of fire behind him, was always a kind of a, a guy thought of as a heel, never really a baby face. And uh, it turns that on its ass. And it's a great moment. It's a baby face of, you know, getting what he, you know, getting, giving the heel his comeuppance, giving what he deserves. And uh, I just, I just think it's great. I love how the crowd reacts, man. It's Dean Malenko on in the, in the mid card of 1998 WCW. And it showed you, man, just like how those crowds were back then, man, they popped for a ton of shit. If it was a done well, they knew how to react. And, uh, it's, uh, it's a moment to me that was just like, it was just great to see it. Like, I just, I just thought it was like, that's, that's the type of wrestling I like. That's just, that's just good old fashioned. It's a good angle. It's a good piece of business as they say. So I wanted to include it here. Absolutely. I think, uh, that's a good moment. That's a good moment. Um, especially for a division that, uh, maybe lacked like the moments, Oh yeah, no, it definitely had the matches, right? It did, but it didn't have the moments. It had a couple, but it didn't have like uh, something like, oh yeah, that was a great thing, that a great storyline that that happened there, you know, and it paid off, you yeah, know, yeah. And that's what led Jericho to actually move up the card and Malenko to move up the card. So more power to him. So there we go, there we go. Um, well, here we go. This is the last one. This is the last item we have on the entire comp. <laughs> It's a good one. It's a great one. Scott Steiner doing math from TNA (laughs) Sacrifice. Just, just, I mean, what else can you say about this? It's just, you know, the Samoa Joe Scott Steiner thing is one of my favorite things ever. I have such a soft spot for that, man. Samoa Joe, uh, hey, you know, you're going to drop kick down some stairs. You're going to mess up your back. You're not going to say anything about it. You're going to get into a feud with Over the Hill Scott Steiner with Petey Williams as many many big Papa Pump. Uh, you're going to have a match with him at Sacrifice, and uh, Scott Steiner is going to do a pre-match uh, promo on you, and uh, he's going to do math. And uh, it's not good math. As somebody who it's not correct. You know, it's not correct math. It's not. It's not numbers in the way numbers should be, uh, you know, provided as uh, truisms in the world of uh, of mathematics. Uh, but man, like it is a bit. It's a great bit. Uh, I I refuse to think that Steiner put any thought into it other than I'm just going to rattle off a bunch of percentages and think that this works. Uh, I. And it's just, you know, I think also this is the first wrestling meme. Like it precedes meme culture, but it is the first wrestling meme, you know, either that or the edge eyes. One of the two. Yeah. Um, 
along those lines. Stuff gets gif, but not really do we get the memes. Um, right. Quite like this. Right. It's perfect. It's great. It's <laughs> um, something you can like. There, I I have a preference for my uh, my TNA crap, but this is definitely um, ranks up there as one of those. Mo- and TNA has um, probably a good half dozen of. Just absolute ludicrous things that happen on oh, yeah. these shows that you'd be like, okay, I need to memorialize this somewhere in my <laughs> memory palace, um, yeah. so I never forget the um, atrocities that wrestling can bring <laughs> um, in the best way possible. Uh, one of my one of my favorite things in the old YouTube algorithm is uh, one time I fired up the old uh, Jay Lethal Ric Flair uh, woo off, and. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, there were a lot of TNA matches that ended up showing up in my recommendations because of it. Uh, I kind of regret it, but, uh, you know. You live and learn. You you do. Uh, But not not learn the way Scott Steiner did math at the University of Michigan, apparently. Uh, Plus, you know, his brother's a real estate agent. You'd think he'd be able to help him out with it. You would think. Maybe. He's got his own... Own re- well, he did, I guess, right. have his own restaurant. Yeah. Um, ah, true. You would Very think you'd have to have math skills on that one. Yeah. Maybe yeah, not. There's a, a business plan, perhaps. You know. But just uh, but, face to a name, I guess. Yeah, uh, I need, I needed, I needed comedy, Sam. That's why I brought that in there. I, uh, you know, I, I needed levity. something, needed some something to laugh at. You know. Uh. And comedy matches are far and few between. There are good ones, but uh, you know, like I, I don't think uh, there there is any that was worthy of making a list. And so I thought, well, what could I do for a promo? And it's like, well, there there it goes. You know, that's uh, that's there, a good one. We no, it's a great one. I love it. Um, so there you have it. There we have it. That's I'm on I'm on a deserted island now. You've you're about to be shipped off. Yep. Um, it was good knowing you, but Me too. this is that. This is the end. This is the end. Um, do you have any parting words for us? Hey, you know, uh, I mean, first off, big, you know, first time, long time on the show. Obviously, big fan of of all this. Uh, we were joking uh, how about how this time of year, a few years back, you know, the formerly known as always Barry Tanner's. Uh, you know, 10 hours of audio excellence uh, over three parts to consume over the holidays. Uh, definitely miss those times, uh, but understand that those can't happen anymore. Uh, but, you know, just in general, you know, obviously, thank you for having me here. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, uh, pro wrestling is weird now. I don't know what to feel about pro wrestling. Uh, it's going to be a part of me. It's going to be something I love, something I uh, I, I enjoy. But um, it's uh, it's it's something that it's uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm I might be growing out of it, but I think that I'm more attuned to find the things I uh, uh, I can agree with or or uh, relate with the most. And uh, and find joy in that, and so uh, that's part of the reason I was doing this because it allowed me to find things joyful, again, things that I enjoy about this this wild thing that we all love and consume 
Uh, and so uh, thank you for putting me on a deserted island with a uh, with a good helmet comp of my choosing, a Phil Schmeider comp of my choosing. And uh, here's hoping that uh, I, you know, that I make it another 20 years on that island with all this stuff. Yeah, here's hoping. Here is hoping. Um, well, Tim, thank you for being on. You can follow him at Mr. Tim Livingston on Twitter. Um, and for everyone listening, thank you for listening. Um, please go follow uh, at WDKWPN, the We Don't Know Wrestling Podcast Network. Please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes. Um, we have more shows coming. I've been putting out the Wrestling We Don't Know Wrestling Society X um, series. Um, obviously, there's a limited run on that. There will only be 10 episodes, but I'll be releasing some more episodes um, probably starting next week again on that. Um, and you have Quentin and Tim who are putting out their Q&TR podcast, um, which is great. And then we have um, a new podcast coming in next year at some point um, with uh, James E. putting out the Boots and Trunks podcast. So um, mm. exciting stuff coming up. A little UK flavor, that boy. A little UK flavor. Um, so... Lots of fun stuff happening right now and would love it for folks to be listening and kind of join in. So once again, thank you all for listening and Tim, thank you for being on. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it, man.